Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Silver and Gold! Coming to the ring, from parts unknown, the combined weight of 853 pounds, Pickleloaf and Dr. Zong! song i get tight in my pants this isn't the loaf this is el goro from talk without rhythm loaf's not here right now but i what? am baby but zom's here how's it going zom uh it's going pretty good i'm sup- i i uh, i don't know what's going on i just like logged on and you're here yeah another uh, luchador mask wearing guy with facial hair is uh, taking over your show why don't we do a show why don't we do a show Fucking what do you want to talk about uh, <laughs> Well, um, well, there's some movie, like a movie, and you guys. Uh, this is I'm, ta- I'm speaking to like the listeners right now. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. Somebody was clamor, or people were clamoring that they wanted a new show. So I guess this is it. We're gonna we're like uh, just taking like when you go to your refrigerator and you're like college poor. <laughs> where you have twenty dollars to last you for like an entire week, including gas and everything. You go to your refrigerator and you you just have like a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you kind of I gotta eat, so you throw all the shit together, and you know that's what we're doing right now. And it probably sounds like it because number one, I just woke up. Number two, I took a shower. Uh, threw some chicken stir-fry in a skillet, made some coffee, and got some water, and shaved in less than five minutes. So if it seems like I'm not on my game... I, I just love the fact that I come on the show and you compare it to the uh, mold-covered shit in the back of your refrigerator you throw together in order just to, you know, get a little it's, bit of sustenance. It's so good. <laughs> So That's, it's only when you get the urge that you bring me on, Daddy. It's just one of those, you know, in, in case nothing else. Well, you know, when they when they talk about, like, these super bugs that are resistant to, you know, uh, antibiotics and everything these days. What, so I'm MRSA? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think of something. I'm freaking regurgitating the chicken fried rice. It's all right. I'm taking advantage of your uh, sleep-deprived state or just woken up mind in order to give you all kinds of shit. Don't mind me. Dude, I'm in a stupor. There you go. And to make sure that I got some sleep before I had to do this, um, I took a a one Benadryl, uh, (laughs) and so that will – it'll wear off. Don't worry. (laughs) 
It's all good, man. It's all good. So yeah, uh, so yeah, the word went out from uh, the loaf that he was going to be moving. So he asked me to come on to the show. Zom and I did a quick uh, heads coming together to discuss films that we both had that we both were planning on watching, and we came up with Yodorowski's Dune <laughs> documentary. It was uh, like when our heads came together, it was like Andre the Giant and Bobo Brazil with a cocoa butt that (laughs) that was heard around the world. And thanks to you, I now know that Andre the Giant's anus is roughly the size of a uh, a jar of mayonnaise. Yeah, the big gaping opening. I mean, I I can understand on him everything's going to be bigger, but, you know, you would assume it would still be puckered. I mean, what the hell, what was causing that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he was uh, spending the evening with Haystacks Calhoun. Is, is Haystacks, uh, is he also a giant in his 601 own 601 pounds of uh, farm boy. He is a silo. Yeah, you know. There you and, go. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, uh, you're if you are if you were a boss, yeah, but, you know, I agree. But think about this, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, these days, because, you know, you don't have to be a farmer to see things that only a farmer would see. And when you see people artificially inseminating cows and they'll stick their whole arm all the way up to their, almost their shoulder up the cow's asshole. Sure. Um, you know, maybe that's, I mean, it might be puckered, but still it can receive much uh, larger arms. <laughs> I imagine if China ever wants to have children, that's going to how, how it's going to have to be done because I don't think any man could actually get the job done. Well, when the baby would be coming out, the doctor would even have to slap it because when it would come out, her giant clit would fucking <laughs> like clunk it on top of the head. That's nice. Right. Yeah, you know, t- teabag her own kid with her clit. Yeah, you know, I, 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 have, I that's the one thing about um, female bodybuilder porn mm-hmm. that disturbs me. The one, the one thing. <laughs> I guess it depends on how much they're they are uh, ingesting to you know how how physically whatever they look. But there's there's many times that 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 you know it's like a thumb. Well, yeah. You know, but uh, well, you get that much testosterone in there, man. It's what causes it. It's almost like a penis. It pretty much is. Which I gotta say, it would it would that would almost make things easier. One would think. You know, because uh, there's all these guys out there that I, I just don't think they're, you know, applying enough effort, but they complain, oh, I can't find the clit, or, you know, the clit doesn't exist. <laughs> I, I just think they're fucking lazy. But, you know, we need to hook them up with the bodybuilder chicks. It's yeah. like Duplo, right? When you're a little kid, you can't quite handle Legos. So you huh? start with Duplo, and they fit together huh? the exact same way. You learn the ropes of it, and then when you're ready for the advanced lessons, you move up to Lego. It's the same thing with these motherfuckers. If they're complaining about not being able to find the clit on a chick, I'm going to hook her, hook them up with a bunch of steroids up bodybuilder chicks, and then boom, it'll be right there, like the fucking Washington Monument, proud and erect and ready for you to handle. Like a, like a speed bag. Exactly. And, then, and they're like, that's it right there, to the left, to the right, come on, motherfucker. And you're right, they all have that nasally voice, you notice that? Well, they, it starts getting, you know, the, the, you know more masculine. Yeah. I wonder if that Red Sonia would be like that. I mean, she wasn't enhanced like that, but she could. Wouldn't it her deal like she could defeat pretty much any man? But any yeah. man that could defeat her, she would fuck. That that was her whole deal. She wouldn't she wouldn't lay down with a man unless uh, he had bested her in combat. Which I will the... I will say in an issue of What If Wolverine uh-huh. did, and he totally boned Red Sonia. 
Nice. Well, here's the deal with that is um, when you were talking, okay, was that like a deal where almost like a black widow spider that kills its mate? I mean, like when you were fighting her, was it like a fight to the death? And you had to do so. Yeah. Well, see, but then wouldn't you kill her? Well, I, I assumed that you just had to defeat her, and then that was kind of the point. Okay. Because I, I was going to say, but if she defeats you, you're well, dead. I know, I, I know with Wolverine, I think he did just like a judo throw and then did a mount, and then boom, he That's was That's all that it took. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's Wolverine. What do you want? Yeah, I was going to say, Jesus Christ. Well, have you ever seen Black Belt Jones? Yeah. All right, you remember when he was fighting the chick on the beach and he was basically chasing after her like he was going to rape her? Mm-hmm. I imagine it's a lot like that. Where, you know, they, they kung fu fight for a little while, and she says, you know, that she's only going to sleep with the guy that defeats her. But really, this is just her weeding out process, because she's a yeah. barbarian. She doesn't have time for speed dating. So this is basically the equivalent of dancing with a guy in a club, except, you know, they're actually using clubs and trying to kill each other. It's a way that she can gauge his sexual prowess. Ah, I would be, you know, she would just look at me and probably scoff. Oh, she'd tear uh, me in half. Jesus yeah. Christ. But you know, the thing I always, it's kind of like uh, whether it's Electra or Red Sonia or whatever, when they, when they do that and they put them in the movie, yeah. you know, they always get an actress that, that is, it, you know, uh, I'm not going to go out there with my ass hanging out. And it's like, <laughs> um, okay, did you fucking read any of the source material for this? Okay. Yeah. I, I would much rather get somebody who is not as well known or not known at all that would be willing to play the part than somebody that has to put a fucking pair of pants on. Because Except in that case, you'd end up with those, like uh, like the Roger Corman uh, sword and sorcery movies he did, you know, like, uh, I think he did Deathstalker or shit like that. David You get girls, that, you, know, you know, you sword and the sorceress with the... Uh, um, David Carradine, like you said, where you get if you see girls in real life dressing like that, they look fucking ridiculous. I'm okay with practical armor on the girls, but you know, if, yeah. I, will, I will say this though: if you are cast to play a stripper in a movie that has an R rating and you don't show some tits, come on, it's man. ridiculous. I'm looking I, at you, I Jessica have, Alba. Oh, I've always hated that Lindsay Lohan, Jessica Alba. I will say this: fucking Jessica Biel was one of the ones that she didn't take off the bottoms but she showed like everything else and yeah. she looked like a fucking stripper these fuckers they, you know these oh god that pisses me <laughs> off fucking i bitches. will say this though at least rodriguez <laughs> had the good sense in machete unlike in sin city in machete he at least used a body double for Lindsay lohan during the nude scenes yeah. because they had to have some kind of nudity into there in order to just do the emulation of the movies that they were you know emulating well, and then when I heard that uh, Jessica Alba wore like a flesh-colored bikini, and then they just CGI'd it, you know, off of her, like mm-hmm. when she got out of the shower, that's fucking ridiculous. Give me a fucking break. I then just know. CGI her entire part. Because, you see, and, and you know what? Uh, and I'm I'm not being you know sexist in this. I think all actors should be free to be naked on screen without being unfairly judged about it. But it's one of those that if a guy shows up naked on the screen. A lot of them will say how brave he is. Like nobody was was thinking anything less about Michael Fassbender when he showed us just you know how Michael Fassbender he was right. in Shame. But you know if a girl were to do something comparable, there would be people out there that would be judging her. Well, I will say this: if I was Michael Fassbender, I would walk like I would go golfing yeah. with my dick hanging out. But <laughs> as far as You'd be brave goes, with your dick. like Harvey Keitel, who uh-huh. looks like you know. 
normal. It's cold on the set and normal. <laughs> well, no, that, that's <laughs> the thing. Harvey Seitel is perfectly normal. Right. It's just, you know, we're used to seeing naked porn stars and Michael Fassbender. Yeah. I, I, I admire I, I admire Harvey Keitel that the the willingness he has in order to just let his dick out you have to admire that I wouldn't do it. Well, that's what I, I've always said too. You know, a, a guy at work uh, told me one time said something about uh, the size of his schlong, and he <laughs> goes, you know, have you ever seen you know porn? Because he's you know, I'm not. This is him saying this. He's an African American guy, and he okay. goes. I said, oh, yeah. I said, that's a bunch of bullshit. And he goes, oh, he goes, haven't you ever seen any porn? I said, dude, I said, everybody in porn has a big dick. <laughs> but I can guarantee you that not all, I mean, if all white guys in porn have a big dick, I can guarantee you that not all white guys have a big dick. There you go. They say the average size is about 5.76 inches, which apparently oh, is down from when big. I last heard. Well, it's down from when I last heard the number. So it makes me think the scientists lowered the bar to make themselves feel better. <laughs> Because I always heard it was six inches, so maybe they've been rounding this entire time, or maybe they just decided, no, it's five point seven six. See, honey, I'm I'm above average. You mean six inches around? I guess it's like you know a thermos at that point. There you go. There you go. Stumpy. Stumpy. In the words of the the Bloodhound Gang, my shit don't hit the bottom, but it'll fuck the sides up. There you go. That's what you you know. Whatever. There you go. And it's not an angle anyway, man, because I, I tell you what, there's been once, one or two, two times that, you know, you accidentally, just based upon position, you go a little too deep. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. wince. And, you know, well, the, me, I always felt bad about that because I could imagine that that shit would hurt. Well, and, and you know, let's, let, uh, I will say this. Not all holes are the same size. This is true. This I, is true. I had a person who was very nice, a, a lovely girl uh, that I shared Twinkies with in my uh, kitchen while having sex. Um, and it was kind of like a ringing a bell <laughs> where I just kind of had to get on like the side and, you know, I, I don't know, you know, but you turn her legs over. So you're kind of getting it from a little side action. Hmm. It's, I, I thought you would know this trick, man. You're supposed to be the wizened guy and I'm the, I'm the, the young Turk that's supposed to benefit from your wisdom. I didn't even care enough to, you know, well, there you go. After like a you know two or three minutes, talk. <laughs> two or three minutes, shit. Are you still here? Yeah. <laughs> Could you grab your shit and go? You, know? you see what, what happens, Loaf, when you get me on the the show with Zom? We're gonna spend like the, the next three hours just talking about she this. She wasn't kind interesting, of... you know. She wasn't really interesting. She did watch uh, Blade Runner with me though. There you go. Which was cool. So. Well, speaking of you know showing uh, girls that we were seeing stuff, uh, the girl I'm currently seeing. <gasps> what? Yeah, yeah, man. I got a girlfriend <laughs> now. That's kind of cool, eh? That's kind of cool. The only thing with it though is that uh, you know I'm the huge movie guy, and the amount of movies she she hasn't seen, movies that we would consider you know big ex- essential yeah. movies. I mean, just astronomical. Blows my mind sometimes. We make we make the constant joke that we have this running list that I've actually started keeping of movies she hasn't seen that I will eventually show her. Mm. But uh, we finally decided to start hashing out uh, titles off that list, and I showed her Jaws. Nice. Good shit. The only thing that is, it's, it ran into the a comparable situation I've had with other girls, where we're watching a movie I really love, and I love Jaws, man. I could watch that anytime. Got most of it memorized. It's a great flick to watch. She fell asleep. Still, what's that? She fell asleep. No, she started wanting <laughs> to try to fool around. 
so here I am, you know, uh, Quint is like, doing Get his, off me, damn it. <laughs> you know, $10,000 for me and myself. And she's <laughs> nibbling on my ear. It's like, no, 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 you really want to see this. And then the fucking Indianapolis speech comes on, and we start making out. And I'm like, part of me, it's like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. We're making out. And then part of me is like, oh, man, she's probably never going to watch this movie again. She's missing one of the best parts. And I swear to God, when I was, because, again, I love that movie so much, when we were going at it, I, I think I was mouthing some of the lines. <laughs> well, depending on what you're doing, that could be kind of fun. There you go. You know, they wouldn't even know. Um, I always, I mean, it, it's like uh, every guy's dream. If you like uh, sports or whatever, that you find the girl that that is so is as into sports as you're into sports, and will sit there and watch a game with you. If you're into uh, comic books or movies or whatever, and it never works out that way. Um, I got to where I was kind of uh, like, okay, well, let's go see a movie. I like to go to movies. And so then you make the compromise and then I'll be watching, flipping the channels like on TBS or, or fucking, uh, uh, I don't know what kind of channel. And I'll be like, okay, here's this rom-com. And I'm like, how the fuck have I seen this? And then I remember, okay, yeah, I like going to see movies. They can stay awake during those. Mm-hmm. They can keep their hands completely off of you during those. They're mesmerized, like you know, like a deer looking in the you know in the headlights. But then if you put on fucking uh, Apocalypse Now or something like that, <laughs> right out. Uh, what are you gonna do? I mean, it's it's like the men are from Mars and women are from Venus. This Except you I wonder if the know. ones with the big clits would watch <laughs> like Apocalypse Now. But that you know that's not entirely true because I've met plenty of girls. Some of them I've dated that have had you know like a lot of the same movies that I have. It's you know it's just people are different. People are different. Everybody's different. There you go. I just like to generalize because I'm bitter, there which is go. awesome. It fuels <laughs> me. All right. Well, keeping a little bit to your schedule of the show, since you've decided, hey man, you take the lead on this, man. So you know, throw yeah. me your fucking wolves. Well, it's it's a. Uh, if we don't, we'll have another five-and-a-half-hour episode, and, and I'll be late for work. <laughs> yeah, but then we'll lose half of it, right? But that's it worked out for the best. Yeah. We'll, uh, rest in peace, McCabe and become, Mrs. Miller. That show has become a myth. It has. And I've said I'll never cover that, I'll never cover that movie again. We did that good of a job on it. Yeah. It's and done. nobody gets to hear it but us. But us, man. Yeah. Our mayonnaise-sized so yeah. jar buttholes. <laughs> I will say I, I did I did appreciate the fact that you put up a uh, when you were advertising this thing you put up a picture of Bruiser Brody for me I I, I like that. Why well, do you like know Bruiser I'm not Brody. Bruiser Brody? Because I think you tagged me as the Bruiser Brody yeah. part, and then I got the beard and I, if you if you did want to I assumed you'd want to be uh, what was that Hanson? Yeah, Stan Hanson. Stan Hanson. I assumed you'd want to be Stan Hanson. Well, you know, we we had some. Uh... I don't know. I you know, I started thinking about okay. There there's there's a new and exciting group called the feedback group, no. which is really stupid. <laughs> thanks um, for your feedback. Yeah, thanks for your feedback. Um, it's it's a good group. Um, but the one thing about that was I started thinking about feedback for like all of these different shows, whether it's you know Talk Without Rhythm or Cult of Muscle or whoever. And you know we always set up a a phone number or an email and just that little extra step really fucking uh, it, it like hamstrings people. Cause they're like, ah, uh, you know, I, I'm on fucking Facebook this entire time or Twitter or whatever. And, and I'm sitting there, but then I have to 
send an email. And I mean, it's nothing. It takes two seconds. But for some reason, that little extra step always gets in people's way. Sure. So I started thinking, you know, why not just say, hey, why don't you guys, if, if you have any stupid questions or whatever. Now, I haven't even looked at any of these yet. So I, I, I'm just, you know, and, we, and we're a little bit pressed for time. Uh, but I just, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the thing right now. What, that thing you put up on Silver and Gold? Ha, have you looked at any of these questions? Oh, yeah, man. And I, I'm looking forward to getting into it later. Has, we do the feedback later in the show, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, that's yeah. fine. But, but usually it's just Justin, so you know. At least now we have uh, one, two, three, four, maybe about five just general questions. It's a good we, idea, man. It's like you you should leverage that shit. I mean, it's working for the cult of muscle, right? Cult of muscle. Yep, I, put oh. shit, I put shits on shit like that up for a talk without rhythm, and I got nothing, man. You guys got you guys got pull, man. You're big names in the podcasting scene. Well, man. that's what they say. There you go. <laughs> I don't know how. Because this is a C, don't you know? Yeah, Daddy. Yeah, Daddy. Okay. Um, well, do you want to talk about some of the other flicks you watched before we get into Yodorowsky's Doom? Well, we could. Um, just, you know, let's see here. I watched some movies. Cool. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, let, me bring, <laughs> let me bring them up here. Uh, let's see. Your photos. That's how I usually do this. I don't do the uh, other stuff. Yeah, um, me too. I, I just got a fo- I just got a uh, album that's 2014 yeah. in film, so it lets me know everything I've watched. Also, lets um, me know that I've watched over 250 films this year. And wow, that, that's got to be sad, right? And you still have a girlfriend. Awesome. I know, right? <laughs> when do you find time? Well, she's making out with you while you're like, I gotta watch you. <laughs> Honey. Well, add, okay. add to the fact I do three movies a week for Talk Without Rhythm, man. I mean, there you go. Um, regular, I, just like fiber. I, um, I don't know. The, you know, the other day I was just sitting there and I think, okay, you know, I got this Netflix, right? Sure. And and I never watch anything on it. For number one, you know, I have Roku, and when you're on your actually on your computer, you can look for movies a lot by genre and stuff like that. And and on the Roku, it, you're limited in how you can choose your movies because you just have the little button the, you know, everything that starts with a or B or whatever, and then they'll suggest shit. Well, for some reason, every once in a while, I'll step out of my wheelhouse, which I don't even know what that is. Like, you know, movies with chicks with big clits and, and movies <laughs> with like Bukaki and whatever. But this was, uh, I, I would classify your wheelhouse as old school man movies because the yeah. amount of old school man movies you've recommended to me, like cross of iron or fucking dark of the sun. I mean, you've never steered me wrong in that regard. So you old are, you are my guru of old school man. Well, I'm old. I went to school, but I watched this, uh, Mrs. Brown. Mrs. With, Brown? Yes, with Dame Judy Dench and Billy Connolly, you know, and and I'm like, you know, I wonder what this is. You know, I I I haven't followed, uh, you know, I've of course I went, you know, high school, college, grade school, whatever, and uh, but I wasn't familiar with uh, this period of time as far as. You know, the Queen of England and blah, 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 whose husband apparently had uh, died of typhoid or something. And she's very depressed, very whatever. And uh, they hire this uh, Scott, Scottish uh, Highlander guy you know, to come and uh, take care of her horses. And, uh, you know, basically he – I don't know if he came with an agenda, but he – 
hooked up with the Queen of England. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of got her out of her funk. And everybody hated his guts because they were trying to manipulate her. And and he became, you know, he was like, you know, she, she uh, they would say, well, you know, who said you could do this? And he'd be like, you know, she did, <laughs> you know, and she's not doing this because it's not good for her. And you guys can go fuck yourselves. And pretty much to that extent, except he, you know, saying with a Scottish accent, um, Gerard Butler is in this and he is so young, but you know, that the, the um, I don't want to say mush mouth because I don't want to be insulting, uh, but they they have such a thick tongue with a thick Scottish accent that watching him speak, I'm like staring at his mouth, and he's speaking English, but I'm trying to figure you know follow what the fuck he's saying, you know. But it was it was actually pretty good. I was glad that I watched it, and my clit grew three inches while I was watching. <laughs> I don't know, but see that's that's a that's kind of a a movie that um, walks the line, mm-hmm. you know, people would be like, oh, that, was that a chick flick? I don't know if a, in, a, in the classic sense, I think that would be one that the girl would either fall asleep or would, you know, start rubbing your balls during <laughs> it or something, maybe. Because it's, it. Well, have you ever seen that uh, Anthony Hopkins flick, uh, Remains of the Day? I have thought about watching that, it's, but I have you know, not watched it. Again, it's one of those movies that, like you said, it could certain people might want to classify it as a chick flick because it does deal with a lot of romantic stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, you it's not you know just this romantic comedy. Uh, there's there's things you can find that are very very enjoyable in there. Yeah. And if you dig romantic comedies, I'm I'm not coming down on you or anything. I I, I typically not don't enjoy them, but there are exceptions. Yeah. I, I'm digging Billy Connolly's big beard in this though. Yes, Billy Connolly. It talks like this the whole time. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. Do you I want the... to see Mark Haber? Oh, you do see it. <laughs> he, he, apparently, at that time, you know, uh, when you're in, you know, England, uh, uh, they would. Uh, I, I think it was him and Gerard Butler went for a brisk ride on their horses in their mm-hmm. kilts, and then they went to the, the edge of, you know, the be- the ocean or whatever, and they. When they were, the kilts. they took off the kilts. I mean, they were buck naked and fucking ran into the surf. And you, you, you could see like Billy Connolly's, uh, <laughs> and their, you know, schlongs and everything fucking ran out in the surf. But it was a man, you know, they went and did it. And uh, the chicks, what amazed me about this was the women would be in these big, um, like it almost looked like a pilgrim's kind of a what a woman a pil- female pilgrim would wear, except instead of a white bonnet, it'd be like a black bonnet with these big uh, uh, dresses. And mm. when they would go swimming, they would just leave on their little black shoes that lace up over the ankles and the dresses and swim in that big. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't drown, but from the weight, but they'd yeah, swim in those like big, big dresses. Big What's that? They, those like big hoot skirts that they were. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, they, they were. Um, I don't I think they I- had. Oh, good. Well, I don't think they had the uh, the big um, uh, I don't know what they would call it that makes it the hoop thing under yeah, yeah. Because they were riding, mm. but they would still leave like these big, big, heavy dresses on. But well, anyway, see, I always assumed that in that thing they would have you know the underwear that you'd see in like uh, cowboy movies. Yeah, you know, the girl would take off her dress and she would be still be wearing like a, a pants and you know kind of a tank top dealy. But she was the queen, so you know I guess she didn't I, want to show her her. Uh, Knickers. I will say one thing, you know, Queen Victoria loved to fuck. She Did had like she really? Kids. She had nine kids. 
Well, she had the, a lot of her kids were assholes, from what I could tell. Well, they're all fucking inbred. What do you want? Well, yeah, you're not all inbred kids, are you know? Well, I'm just saying that the, the, chan the chances of you know insanity and assholeness tends to go up if you're inbred. And the one eye that kind of goes a different way. And small hands. Small hands, big clit. There you go. <laughs> I wish I had smaller hands. I have big hands. That should so, be the name of this episode, by the way. Small hands, big clit. Either I've that always... <laughs> or I raped uh, Frank Herbert. There you go. Um, I have always thought if I had I, – I try and date women with small hands mm. because it makes your dick seem bigger. <laughs> right? Well, I don't have a choice because I have pretty large hands anyway. Yeah. And if I found a girl that had larger hands than me, I'd, I'd be afraid. It's yeah, like somebody it's asked me if you know if I date a girl that was taller than me, and I was like, yeah, sure, but there's not many of them. I'm I'm six three. Yeah, I've dated girls that were close to being, like maybe five ten, five eleven. Yeah. And this one had big feet. Nice. And it was kind of threw me off sometimes, because <laughs> you know, you're used to. And then, and then, like say, like after that, after maybe like a a year of dating her, and I meet somebody else, and I'm like, you know, got one foot up in the air, and I'm like going to town, and I'm looking, I'm like, God, what little tiny petite feet compared to you know the fucking Sasquatch foot. What um, that's a move for you, the foot in the air and going to town on that. I just I like to, to you know kind of move around. There you, know? you go. We're, lear we're learning new things about you. <laughs> yeah. Well, she uh, just drop her into a figure four at some point. Try that, you nice. know. Of, uh, just you know, cobra clutch, uh, camel clutch is good when you're from behind. You know? I can imagine yeah. the fish and fish hook the mouth, the edge of the mouth while you're doing it. Um, I <laughs> watched a, docu lock, you know? <laughs> a documentary on uh, Netflix called "Looking for Lenny," which was about Lenny Bruce. It's very good. It's a hmm. new one too, and a um, uh, lot of talking heads that are comedians from say all the way from the fifties that worked with him, uh, up mm -hmm. till now. And, um, it's very interesting. Uh, um, the, there was, there was a movie with Dustin Hoffman, you know, where he plays Lenny Bruce, which is really good. Oh, and sure, I think, I've seen it. yeah, Valerie Perrine plays his wife. That was excellent. This is really good too. I mean, I, I, he's like a, a hero with the exception of the heroin thing. Uh, he's a hero thing, you know, kind of person <laughs> because of, uh, his, fight to be able to actually exercise free speech in the fucking country that you're supposed to have it. Uh, and it was so weird when you look at how things were back then. Uh, you know, I grew up listening to Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, uh, you know, even seeing like uh, you would see um, a lot of these old comedians would be on Johnny Carson or on TV and they would do these, these jokes. And at the time, I mean, a lot of them were funny, but because they were on TV, they were very uh, tame yeah, yeah. HBO came out. You'd see like Buddy Hackett on HBO, and he would be fucking filthy because you were seeing his nightclub act. <laughs> oh, which sure. You never saw. Yeah. And it was awesome. But these guys, I mean, like Lenny Bruce was getting put in prison, or not in prison, but I mean, getting jailed and arrested constantly uh, to the point where they pretty, you know, I, it was like a, almost like a vendetta and, and, uh, really drove the guy over the edge with all the, you know, getting arrested every time he would do a show. If he went into a certain part of his act, the cops would be like sitting in the back waiting and just walk up on stage and take him off and shit. Uh, it's pretty, pretty horrible. It's, you know, America. Woo. Um, well, you know what, you know what other future comedian got arrested at a Lenny Bruce show? Who's that? George Carlin. Oh, really? Well, and he, uh, according to him, he got arrested because the cops said, um, 
can you show me your ID? It's like, yeah, I don't believe in carrying an ID. And so they arrested him. Apparently, he was taken to prison with Lenny Bruce. Well, you have to figure. Um, I have one friend uh, who is very – he hates cops. Mm-hmm. And um, if he gets pulled over, it's always a confrontation. And, you know, I, I, I've – because of working midnight shift and, you know, there's times when I'll have a day – like one day off and I'll just stay kind of on the same schedule. And it might be 3 o'clock in the morning and I'll get on my motorcycle and go for a fucking ride mm-hmm. or, or go to the store. And inevitably, if you go about the time that all the bars are closing – there's a lot of times you get pulled over for no fucking reason whatsoever. No hmm. reason whatsoever. And um, I've had several times where I've went to like Walmart because it's 24 hour, you know, 24 hour service or whatever. And you go and get some food or whatever, just shop. And I'm coming home and this, you see the cop alongside the road and you're going the, going the speed limit and, and the guy pulls out right behind you. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to go the speed limit, you know, and just go on and they fucking pull you over anyway. <laughs> and uh, one time uh, the cop walked up to my car and uh, he got the shit scared out of him because I had both my dogs in the back seat. And as soon as he walked up to the car, it was like, like two giant werewolves, you know, yeah, you're lucky you didn't shoot him, man. There was a cop in, I think Indiana that he was approaching a, a parked car mm-hmm. that the window was uh, rolled. Like it, from the, from the look, he could have been halfway down or was more than likely just a quarter of the way down, you know, mm-hmm. crack your windows when you leave your dog in there. Oh yeah. And, he thought that uh, the van belonged to like this child predator, so he approached it with his firearm drawn, Jeez. and then approached the driver's side. The dog jumped. He fired a round into it and killed the dog. Mm. There's a lot of that going around where the you know like <clears throat> cops going up to like fenced-in yards or something like that and shooting dog. I mean, I've I've seen that quite a bit here recently, uh, where people are reporting, "Hey, this motherfucker, you just shot my dog that I've had for eight years. It's my best friend yeah. for no fucking reason." You know, you you came to uh, the, uh, several times where they would go to the wrong house and oh, the yeah. dog inside the fence or chained up or something, and they would shoot the fucking dog just like it's nothing. You see, and I got to say that if that if that ever happened, because you know how much I love my dog, you'd go berserk. Well, yeah, I mean, I would not kill the cop, but I'd definitely be going to jail, and he'd probably shoot me too. Well, the one thing was, um, yeah, but uh, you know, if you do, you think you could like. Like make a move where the bullet would just kind of. No, no, no. He pulls out a gun. And he's going to shoot me, and he's going to kill me. There's no way I'm going to dodge a bullet. Man. Well, you never know. But you know what? If that cop is any kind of man, and he accidentally uh, shot a dog, he should put his gun down and be willing to take a beating, or at least you know fight back with just his fists. Well, my thing is this: um, if a dog is restrained, I mean, or if it's in a fenced area or whatever, uh, you have several different ways. I mean, pepper spray works on anything. Sure. Pepper spray works on a bear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but, but I don't know. I Like, in, in the situation where I, I get pulled over and I'm like, okay, they're just pulling people over because they want to see if you've been drinking sure. and they're looking for an excuse. I just go through the machinations of, especially a lot of times when, when it is 3 in the morning and I have a day off and I'm really bored, it's kind of fun because <laughs> I know I'm not drinking. Up. I know that I'm not going to blow anything, you know, or, well, except maybe the cop if he's, like, reasonably yeah. attractive. And tight so Michael pants. Fassbender pulls you over, you know, <laughs> yeah. fuck her up. Hey, <laughs> he walks, you know, he's, like, banging on the side of your car with his dick. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Let, um, me go get my, uh, let me go get my partner, Liam Neeson. But it's like going to take a, 
a, a math test and you have like all the answers. So I just act really, you know, I'm like, hey, how are you? You know, da da da. Go give them my license registration, and have, they always say, have you been drinking? I'm like, no, you know. Just went to the store. I point in the back where all the bags are and everything, and which you know, and uh, it could be like big bags full of meth. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I've had cops actually tell me, well, you know, uh, some of them lie. Some of them say, well, you know, I, I, we're just trying to see if people, you know, catch people that maybe have been drinking or whatever. And then I've had some say, well, you know, you, you kind of you cross the center line back there a little bit, but I'm going to let you go. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, I saw you. You pulled out behind me. I was going 25 miles an hour, knowing you're behind me. I know that I did not cross any line because I was being on my best behavior. You're full of shit. But see, I don't say that because I know. But my friend will be like, "Hey, that's a bunch of fucking bullshit." You know, you have no reason. But and he'll get in like, and I'm like, dude, you know that song that the Clash did? You know, I fought the law and the law won. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a big enough if if you raise enough of a fuss, then you could have one of those cops that takes his nightstick and knocks your fucking taillight out and then fucking tasers you and Rodney Kings your ass. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's not as much fun Oh yeah. on a day off when you don't have anything else to do. So there you but go. Anyway, fuck those. Well, yeah, you watched, you watched the, the Lenny Bruce documentary. Watch the Lenny Bruce documentary. <laughs> uh, now Lenny Bruce would have been, he would have gotten tasered and pepper sprayed. I'm sure he did several times and they were yeah. probably seeing a bunch of anti-Semitic shit back then. That's probably true. If they would say anti-Semitic shit to me, it wouldn't even work because I'm not Semitic. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, but I watched The Odessa File with John Voight, who I really like his acting. It's got Maximilian Schell in it, too. Um, but John Voight, um, every time I watch a movie of his and I'm like, man, he is really good, then I'll see on the news he is – he'll make some comment about – he's really like a right-wing kind of a – that job hmm. now and uh it kind of turns me off but he's still a good it actor explains a couple things with angelina jolie you know rebelling against her dad yeah you know, i would rebel against him too if he was my dad you know mm-hmm. i can't believe that joe buck who was turning tricks in new york for you know uh <laughs> you know uh pocket change or whatever would would be such a dick anyway uh betty page reveals all oh you watch that yes and you know what I, I was watching this while I was working out, you know, mm-hmm. like doing crunches and shit. Yeah, I was working around. out too, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a lot of forearm grip strength, you know. Yeah, goddamn. <laughs> like a fucking gorilla. Um, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful lady. I mean, oh, um, yeah. you know, just yeah, I'm sitting there and, and they talked about how she uh, was such a natural and, and her her facial expressions and her smile while she was doing this and like she's kind of – has an innocent look and, but still, you know, sexy and everything. And that's true. But while watching this, um, you're, it's kind of like you're torn because I, there were times where it was such a, it was such a sad thing. Some of the stuff that happened to her with, you know, uh, men, uh, that's what uh, I was watching something the other day. I think it was like Louis CK. And he was talking about, uh, that women, as far as men go, it's, you're, the most uh, dangerous thing that a lot of women have to deal with is just men. Yeah, yeah. You never yeah, know what you're going to get. Yeah. And 
and uh, you know, you might have a guy who's the nicest guy in the world. You get in his car, and the next thing you know, he's all over you, and you know, rape you, or molest you, or whatever. Uh, and she went through Sarah, and her dad was such a fucking piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Talk about somebody that you just like to fucking just go back in time if you had a time machine and beat the fucking shit out of. Well, and just, just the fact that she was saying that you know. At least he wasn't like having sex with me, like he was my older sisters. Yeah, penetrating. Like, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, she 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 would let him. She said, "I let him touch me, uh, like on top or whatever, to get to go to the movies because they lived on a farm or something out in the middle of nowhere." Uh, but he did. He never penetrated me or was inside me like he was my sisters. Oh. And 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 then to see that natural that or that you know natural progression of of. Uh, how it messed her up. Mm-hmm. And you can even say maybe like uh, some of the hypersexuality and stuff like that might have had something to do with it because you're molded by – everybody's molded by their past and by their experiences. But not only that, but the, you know, the, the mental illness down the road where it, it just really broke my heart and you're sitting there watching this. And then to hear her actual voice – when they when they were interviewing her when she was older, you never saw her really when she was older except like a and and the picture the mug shot was she wasn't that old. I mean she's probably like in her forties, but they're interviewing her when she's probably in her sixties or seventies, and you would just hear her voice and you hear this old older lady and just talking you know matter of factly about you know this guy these guys got her in a car and. You know they were gonna gangbang her, or, uh, or her, about how her dad was, or about how this guy was, or that guy was, and and people that just treated her like shit, and your heart just goes out to her. So it was a lot more than I thought it was gonna be, and it was a, I I was familiar with her story, mm-hmm. but just watching this and the way it was the way it was done, uh, it you know it kind of touches you because you're like, man, this is just uh, everybody when you would just see Betty page pictures or the little, you know, statues or something of license plates and stuff like that, you you know, wow, what a beautiful woman and, and all this and that. But then it really makes you think, you know, like even when you're looking at a Victoria's secret model or whoever, this, that you're just seeing this person as this uh, object, but no matter who it is, there's something behind that. And there's, you know, the life experience and everything, when they bring that to it, it's, you know, kind of puts things in perspective, but she's still hot. It's fucking Well, sure. <laughs> and again, it's one of the, it's, it's one of those that w- women like Betty and, you know, like the uh, Victoria's Secret models and porn side of that, they're portraying a fantasy. Right. And it's one of those, if you learn the story behind it, it can impede upon the fantasy. Oh yeah, I especially mean, you know a lot of people that are in fucking porn. Oh you sure, hearing their stories and they are broken people. Oh yeah, from b- before and during and after. Yeah. A lot of those documentaries, you know, a life after porn or you know what you know so and so led to this and everything. It's like God, Jesus, you know, I, it, it almost makes you feel kind of guilty. But you know, like you said, I guess it's you know what a, it is what it is. Sure, I watched, and I don't, uh, I don't necessarily think that you know, looking at porn and doing like that makes you n- decidedly less empathetic towards people like that. Right. I mean, that would be that would be like saying that, um, you know, you watch an action movie, 
and you cheer when the bad guy dies, that you'd, you'd actually want to see him die or things like that. You know, it's, But then it's, you go back and you find out that Clarence Boddicker was sexually molested when he was five years old, yeah. and, and that's why he became such a... <laughs> he turned that into strength and became the crime lord of Detroit. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, just a couple of uh, real quick ones. I watched... Uh, uh, after we watched um, our incest movies and our sex kind of movies uh, last time, I watched a couple. I watched one incest movie, which was called Savage Grace, with uh, Julianne Moore, and okay. uh, you get to see some rocking mom son sex. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> some Kay Parker shit right there, and uh... <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um, her son was um, not the most masculine. Guy, it's a true story too. So anyway, uh, but it was it was it was more than that. It's it's like the other movie I was going to say, which is um, uh, Last Tango in Paris with Marlon Brando. Oh, yeah. uh, you watch that movie, and the first thing anybody says was, oh, "What about the butter? You know, uh, maybe they should put some butter on that." But the movie is so much more than that. I'm watching that movie, and the the, I mean Brando. Is a great actor, but I mean the the uh, the angst that he brings uh, when they show him thinking about his wife who has committed suicide. It's like, and then somebody says, "Oh, what about when they put a stick of butter?" You know, it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! You know, this movie is way more than that. And uh, it's uh, in the same instance, so whether it's uh, 120 Days of Sodom or something like that. Oh, uh, Solo. Yeah, everybody will immediately go to you know the jokes but the movie if if people heard you joking about last tango and then they're like man i gotta see this and then they go watch it and they're like what the fuck was that and it's like yeah it's not last tango you know, is one of those flicks that i haven't gotten around to seeing yet and it was oddly enough influence of my mom mm-hmm. because she saw it and she i remember she was talking about i forget how it came up in conversation and she was saying it wasn't the fact that it was sexually explicit. She just didn't enjoy the film. She thought it was a badly made film. And she, I, 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 she, I, she told me this when I was like a teenager. Yeah. So it's always well, been kind of in the back of my head. Even though I hear people say great things about it, I like Brando. I just yeah. haven't gotten around to seeing it. Every time I look, say, oh, watch Last Tango, something in my head comes up and it just identifies bad movie. Yeah, I've heard actually, you know, uh, I can see that totally. I've watched it probably ten times. Um, you know, the butter, man. Butter, yeah. <laughs> butter all over myself. Um, I have actually heard people say that um, comparing the Last Tango to the their original Godfather movie, that you know, the, at that time, because I think they came out about the same time, that uh, he got all the accolades for the Godfather, but his the best or better performance was in Last Tango. So anyway, um, what else did I watch? What the fuck is that movie? <laughs> hey, oh, it's this, oh, The Fugitive Kind with Marlon Brando. I did a Brando thing. Now, this was really good. I've never, I, I thought that I had watched pretty much all of his movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an older one. And um, what was the, um, the Nicolas Cage movie? Uh, where he played Sailor Ripley and he wore the snakeskin jacket. Oh, Snake Eyes. Yeah, no, 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 no not, not Snake Eyes. Eyes. Well, he did wear a snakeskin jacket, I think, in Snake Eyes. Okay. But the one, uh, it was, um, uh, was it David Lynch? That, um, and, and it had uh, Laura Dern in it, and uh, Willem Dafoe played Bobby Peru. Uh, I can't remember what the fucking name is on the different one. Time. I'll look <laughs> it anyway, up. 
every everybody out there is going to be like it's this it's this so but anyway um i think that brando probably got the snakeskin jacket thing or i mean cage got the snakeskin jacket thing from this movie because brando is a musician and a drifter and he wears a snakeskin jacket which is a symbol of his uh individuality uh and all this shit it's really good. This movie's a good one. It's a Tennessee Williams movie. Um, uh, the movie you were thinking of was Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. Which I haven't uh, seen yet, so that's oh, why I didn't know. Oh, my God. That's There's a lot got. of movies I haven't seen, man. I was, I've, been too, I've been too busy watching Santo movies to, you know, actually watch some quality flicks. How, how close, uh, how far, I mean, are you getting to the end of the Santo quest? No, well, when the year is over because the, he made 52 movies. Ah, so that's why I'm. Do- it's the El Año del Santo every week. Well, I, I, I worked out the schedule. The last step, the last week of the year, I got to do two movies in order to keep on schedule. Well, that's good, but you know, hey, it's it, you're on a quest. There it's you not go. A bad thing. Yeah. Um, I watched the Sabotage. Oh, uh, what did you think of that? Um, the first time I saw it, see, Loaf saw it, and mm-hmm. I was kind of like with you guys uh, when I saw the trailer. I was like, okay, I don't go to the theater that much. But when something catches my eye, I'm like, man, okay, this is what I'm going to go to the theater and see. Well, well, yeah, because they sold the movie. If you just look at the trailer, they sold the movie as Arnie leading a badass team of, like, DEA agents against narco narco cartels. That is how the movie is set up. Right. And that's not what the movie is. It's... Uh, the first time, well, okay, Loaf talked me out of going to see it at the theater because he went okay. to see it and he said, this isn't very good. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, geez, you know, maybe I've, I'll kind of put it off then. So I waited, and as soon as it came out, like it, it got the early release on iTunes, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go ahead and buy this because I've wanted to see it, and, you know, maybe it's good. Maybe it, it is, I did, I did read that, it was like three hours or something like that. And it looks, it's disjointed and it looks like it's, uh, there's stuff that's maybe missing or whatever, but I, there, I totally was saying that I, I thought I, you know, cause the actor and the writer are the same or the director and the writer, I think were the same person that I totally blame them because like the whole thing with like Schwarzenegger and the, um, the, the short-haired uh, cop that's investigating, all oh, yeah. of a sudden, I mean, they're just like, out of the blue, they start kissing. And everybody, it was kind of like a Tarantino movie where everybody talked the exact same way. Mm-hmm. You know, with the, uh, is that the deke? And, you know, <laughs> and the real, even even her, where she's in the her precinct with her people, and her sidekick kind of guy, and she's talking with the real dirty, uh, macho shit, the same way that Schwarzenegger and his team all talk, mm-hmm. uh, hyper macho, masculine, you know. And I, and if you're gonna, if you're gonna set up the difference between what she does and what they do, you know, setting them up as two different kinds of law enforcement right. by having them talk exactly the same way, it really doesn't sell that. Right. I would have rather had her be kind of like a. Le, you know, more like a analytical, straightforward. You know, uh, roll her like uh, in a basic with John Travolta, uh, the 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 female uh, MP that mm-hmm. he's he's kind of the leader of the elite um, squad that that 
they're military, but they don't act military and they're crude and they drink and party and everything. And she was really straight. And so sure. when Travolta would say something, she would roll her eyes like, oh, you know, this stupid macho bullshit and everything. <laughs> kind of like that. And then the one thing that I got out of this was um, a lot of movies these days, uh, if they know they're going to do a subject like this, they'll take all the actors and they'll put them through like SWAT training sure. or. Oh, or something like that because they want them to to move and look like that. But that's that's a small part of of just a few scenes where they in this one. I've, number one, when they were going through and doing their like breaking in on drug dealers or training and shit like that, it was like okay, this director has watched way too many, uh, played way too many first person shooter games, and everybody has to have their little thing while they're. They're going through, and they're all, you know, pointing their guns in different angles, and uh, get them, you know, preacher, do this, well, do that, from, from do what that. I've, from what I've actually heard, one of the it was either the, it was because this was written by two guys, right. one of which went on to direct it. From what I've heard, though, one of the guys, you know, he's he's done that kind of thing. Well, the, he, the one, he's, there he's was from this world. Yeah, there were two guys in the movie. Uh, Let's see if I can find out who he is. The one guy, there was one guy that was actually in the movie, and when I was watching him at the beginning, getting interrogated mm-hmm. uh, at, the, at the beginning scene where the the, the uh, uh, internal affairs guys are interrogating him. Oh, the one I, guy I will like, say that scene has given me one of my new favorite Arnie quotes. Look at you sitting there with your forty-seven percent body fat. <laughs> yeah, with your forty-seven percent body fat. Um, <laughs> but the one great? guy. I, I, as soon as he was being interrogated, I was like, this guy must be – I guarantee you he's the technical advisor. He's either an, a former Navy SEAL or something like that, and, he, and I looked him up, and he was. Uh, and uh, so he was the – they actually put him in the movie because he was the guy that trained him and everything. But it it, it was just – I don't know. There were so many fucking – I don't know if I would call them plot holes or what, but there were – but then – but here's the thing. Okay, I watched it that time, and I was kind of like, okay, it wasn't horrible, but it was really bad movie making, I think, and writing. Yeah. But then I've watched it a few times since, and I just watch it just because and and laugh at that stuff, and just kind of sit back and turn my brain off, and I enjoy it a lot more. Well, the the biggest thing that prevented me from enjoying this movie was just not being able to jive with the technique of the filming. And, you know, I, I've said it so many times that, you know, you pretty much make a drinking game out of it. But I don't really like that style of handheld uh, cinematography. Right, I don't either. And you combine it with the fast cutting. I mean, it, it had gotten to the point I was watching in the theater that I kind of checked out of the movie and I was just doing, uh, counting how long uh, different shots would last. Mm-hmm. And some people would say, well, you're not paying attention to the movie. It's like, I like to look at it as, no, the movie didn't hold my attention that I had to be focused on the technique that was making itself so glaringly fucking obvious. And you were probably making out. Well, no, I was, I was at the theater <laughs> alone. I like going to movie theaters alone. You know, I can, oh, me too. Nobody likes to sit by me, so I always got seat, uh, plenty of arm space. It's great. I, I I don't like. There were t- there were sequences in the movie where each shot was lasting about three seconds. It, it just it was poorly made. There was. was a good movie there. There was a badass kickass movie. Now it, it would probably get a goddamn Academy Award for uh, cool trailer making. Oh sure. The trailer sold the fuck out of it for me, and Schwarzenegger looked great. The thing I mean, is, the trailer shit. deliberately lied. I mean, I there's there's something. Go back and watch the trailer again, and then notice it's like, holy shit, this was not the movie I saw. 
Right. Well, I mean, I've seen that before. Uh, I remember watching uh, the trailer for uh, a movie called Internal Affairs with Andy Garcia and Richard Gere. Oh, yeah, and good in the, in the trailer, you see Richard Gere and Andy Garcia fighting and then so, like somebody getting thrown out a fucking like uh, window of a skyscraper and the glass breaking like, you know, and that wasn't in the fucking movie. Sure, but it, it just felt like the way that they they really did sell the movie a very certain way. They told and, you it was, it was something else. Yeah, and it didn't. Eh, I don't know. That, that the, but the other problem I had with the film is that they could, and this is getting into mild uh, spoiler territory, but not too bad. They pretty much set up the team as being all just a bunch of pieces of shit. Right. And then saying that, well, you don't understand, you don't know what it's like to be on the streets, you don't know what it's like to go against all these evil people in the world, and you're expecting that by the end of it to kind of get a better understanding, especially in comparison to, you know, the truly evil people in the world. Right. And then the movie ends, and it's like, no, 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 they're just, they were just pieces of shit the entire time. No, was, um... Was the cartel actually doing shit to them? Because like nailing the guy to the ceiling and shit like that. No, it was supposed to be that was supposed to be the twist. I mean, I guess we got to go into spoilers territory, but I was assuming no. Well, but but I know, but but see, that's what my point was, or my problem was, is I found it hard to believe that Terrence Howard, who <laughs> either makes the worst choices as far as his career goes, or you know, it's like this guy is a good actor. Sure. But he he was like the the Lizzie chick. He was basically like a a, a little uh, pussy whipped is the word you're looking for. Well, a secondary thing that I mean, he didn't even really hardly have anything to do in the entire movie. Didn't hardly say anything, and and the, they could have gotten they, the, to me. They wasted their money. Uh, if they gave him a lot of money because he's a star, they mm-hmm. wasted their money. Well, maybe his a lot of his shit ended up on the cutting room floor, but he didn't do shit except get him, baby, get him, Lizzie. But yeah, I, I find it hard to believe that him well, that, and that this chick who weighs a hundred pounds could yeah. lift a guy and nail him to the ceiling. And well, you know, I don't know. I, I, with uh, Marielle Enos, I just assumed she was really, really high. And so she had fucking uh, crack strength or yeah, whatever. you know, that, it's that giant clit strength. Giant clip. She probably, I don't know, she was tiny. Um, Who actually did surprise me in this movie was Sam Worthington. Yeah, he was good. I actually didn't realize that was him until after the movie was over. He's usually not. um, Uh, Well, in my opinion, Sam Worthington's never been bad. He's just been. Never been good. Well, he's he's just been. Never been great. Yeah, he's never been great. He has simply been standard. You know, right. it's it's basically the equivalent of a protagonist in a video game, down to the fact that he usually has that short little buzz cut that they like right. to give so many video game protagonists. Right. He is a character for us to insert our feelings over. Right. You know, he's our point of view character. And he's ne- never terrible, in my opinion. I think he's he does okay in pretty much every movie I've seen him in. But, yeah, you're right. He, just, he is never exceptional. And in this he's, one, I couldn't recognize him, and I thought he actually did a, a decent job. Uh, you know, I I think that this had a really good cast. I'll say it again. I thought that it could have been really good. They didn't give enough of the, but but I think that I did read that once they saw the final, well, what was supposed to be the final cut, they said we don't want this. We mm-hmm. want it to be action, 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 action. So a lot of the shit 
that probably would have fleshed out the characters a lot more might have just got left on the fucking cutting room floor. Well, and that's kind of what it feels like. Even if they had a, done a job of fleshing out the characters more, I still think that would have made the ending just as jarring. Because the other issue I have with the flick, they do a good job of pretty much setting these characters up as nuanced people. And then we have an ending with people acting exactly how you would imagine like an 80s action movie. Right. You know, they're pretty much, uh, they could, you could have uh, dropped them into Lethal Weapon and they wouldn't have been out of place. Well, and, and uh, well, like you said, going into spoiler territory, which I don't give a fuck, you know, <laughs> I, you like this, this episode's kind of like, you know, what the fuck are we even doing? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we're um, entertaining the people, man. We're bringing the thunder in the podcasting. They were talking about um, how Schwarzenegger's character, uh, he was the like a father figure to all the people in in his in his unit and all this and that, and they look up to him and respect him and Bricha and, and you know and all this and that. But when it came to and and I will say, you know, I'm sure if I had to sit there and watch my f- family get tortured and you know all that shit, and the fact that he sat there and watched it over and over and over, the guy was fucking insane. Oh yeah, and. When I when you look at it that way, he because I was watching it, I was like, okay, he did all this shit, and he's worked with these people for all this time, and he totally, completely fucked them over. Oh yeah. But why, if he had this elite team of these badasses that could just kick everybody's ass, why didn't he say, okay, you guys, you're my elite team, well, and I'm and like a father figure. Why don't how, go down and kick some ass? That's how the trailer sold it. They, the yeah. way that they set up the chronology of the film, Cartel kidnaps Schwarzenegger's family, Cartel or Schwarzenegger gets his badass team of DEA commandos to go down and kick some ass. Yeah. That is the story that was set up in the trailer, and that's not what we got. Well, honest, honestly, when I watched the trailer, I thought it was going to be that uh, I, for some reason, maybe the trailer that I saw, I didn't get as much um, of them. Um, I didn't focus as much on them doing something to Schwarzenegger's family mm-hmm. as I did that um, they basically stole money. And but I thought what it was going to be was that his entire team turned on him mm. and they were all trying to kill him to get him to shut the fuck up because they were dirty and he was like a father figure, but he wasn't dirty. The one good cop. The one good cop. Yeah. But, you know, but he had some tattoos. He had one on his neck. He had one on his forearm, so on and so forth. <laughs> but <laughs> Exactly. But honest to God, I've watched it. Like I said, I've watched it a couple times since and, and, I'll watch it in chunks. Like I'll just be sitting there and I'll watch like maybe like 15 minutes or like one scene. I'm like, man, I was badass, you know. It was like, and everything. but it's still, it's not, it's not good. But if you just turn your brain off, but it's a good one to to watch and fucking analyze and break apart and say, okay, this was what the fuck's this? What the fuck's that? What the fuck? So that's kind of why I'm spending a little bit more time on it because I just listened to your show mm-hmm. uh, today about that because I kept thinking. When you put out 
your sabotage episode. I didn't listen to it because I hadn't seen it. Yeah. And so then I was like, okay, this is going to be good to listen to now because I have seen it and I want to hear. Well, let's you know. be fair. My shit is never good to listen to. So. It was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler elevated the conversation. There you go. If it would just been me. I would have been sitting around and be like, yeah, why, why, did, why were her tits so small? Did drugs do that? They were small. She's very petite. She is very petite, but and all, she did a damn good job of looking strung out because you see her in other things, and she is not quite so. Um, no. I liked the idea that okay, at the beginning when uh, she was undercover at the drug dealers thing, and they're having that party, and she takes the the drug dealer guy into well, first she's snorting coke or meth or something yeah. off, off the bar, and she's like, you know, and she takes the guy into the bedroom, and she's like gonna fuck him and she kind of wanted i think she was wanted to fuck him because when schwarzenegger goes lizzie can you hear me you know in her earpiece and she's like you know i care and she didn't she's like i can't hear you and she was like horny you know she was the kind of chick and and i and i think everybody on the team knew that she was a scuzzy uh bitch who would just like fuck anybody and she didn't give a shit and that was her husband yeah, he's like, hey, it's my wife. The poor <laughs> schlub. I, you know, he, yeah, he was the the uh, Sam Worthington was the dumbass that married the fucking uh, the, the <laughs> hypersexual crack whore. She's my wife, man. They should have made them like they were swingers, and you know, he was he was kind of a cuckold. Well, a little. Yeah, but he had he had that facial hair, you know, that little rat tail off his chin. Yeah. Classy. Classy. Right, man. Have you watched anything else? Ah, uh, fuck, I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> I have, but you know, we could go on forever. All right. Well, the only thing, the only real thing that I've checked out um, recently that I haven't talked about yet is a documentary. It's up on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It is Slovaj Zizek's The Pervert's Guide to Ideology. I have seen that. What? Okay. I know you're going to tell me because that's what we're talking about. <laughs> but I have seen that and I'm like, what is this? Okay. It's an interesting title. It is a sequel. To, all right, first, first things first. Uh, Slovaj Zizek. And I'm probably butchering his name because there's a lot of weird symbols in his name. I don't know what it means when there's like a V in top of, on top of Zs. I don't know what sounds that's supposed to make. Anyway, <laughs> he's a uh, philosopher. And he did his, a previous film with uh, the director, Sophie Fines who, the way the name is spelled, she might be related to Rafe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look that up. Anyway, um, called The Pervert's Guide to Cinema, which I haven't seen. But basically what The Pervert's Guide to Ideology is, is him describing the philosophical and sociological concept of ideology. You know, that little, that social construct that we have that will encourage us to think in a very particular kind of way. Or as he describes it, it is the thing that goes in front of our eyes in which that we will view the entire world. We will always view the world through the lens of ideology. Right. And people in power, it is within their interests to control the narrative of ideology. Right. Manipulate the... Exactly. Now, how he explores all the various aspects of ideology is through film. So when he's first introducing the concept of what ideology is, he's showing clips from They Live. And then he goes into uh, uh, people feeling uh, isolated, and he goes into taxi driver. He goes into the manipulations of ideology the church has done, and he goes into my or sorry, uh, sound of music. Cool. What's interesting is he'll show a clip, and then it when it goes back to him, he is basically on the set of those films. 
they've built the set around him to make it look like he's in the film with these characters. It's not like rear projection or blue screen. He is just, they've built a set that looks exactly like Travis Bickle's apartment or the uh, office of the Mother Superior in uh, uh, Sound of Music or Quint's Boat. And it's, it's really highbrow interesting stuff. And just the fact that he's couching all of these stuff that admittedly is a little above my head, but couching it in terms that I understand because I know cinema. And it was interesting, and the the guy is a really interesting cat. He's just uh, he's got a little bit of a thick accent, so trying to get into his cadence can be a little bit of a challenge. But once you do, I think that yeah. he has some worthwhile things to say, or at least things that will make you ponder a little bit. Well, I've definitely I uh, the, like you said the the title just kind of grabs you, but I had had no concept of what it was about, so I haven't really watched it yet but there there's some that's the one thing about netflix is they have some really good documentaries on there about shit now that that right there is totally within my wheelhouse you got uh ideology you've got uh and 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 film Mm -hmm. but i mean they have some documentaries on there that about shit that i have no interest in and for some reason i'll just be like "Mm, click play i'm like oh this like you know about making sushi or, yeah. or you know whatever, and you're like, this is fucking interesting. This is really good, you know. Well, and the thing is, I, I like to think of myself as you know as a big horror fan, a big action movie fan, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Did you but, say horror, horror fan? Oh yes, horror fan and horror, horror, horror. or horror as some people yeah. say. In, okay, I'm a big horror habits. fan. There you go. I'm a big horror fan too. But if you were to browse through the list, the big, big list of the women. movies I've watched this year. Most of them are documentaries, because I fucking love documentaries. And Netflix uh, has a shit ton of great documentaries on it. You just have to kind of, you know, it's it's like a treasure thing. I, I, but I have had times where I started watching something on there, and I'm like, well, yeah. okay, let's tap out on this shit. Yeah, I, I generally, I will avoid any documentary that's made for, like, the History Channel, because they stopped being good a long time ago. Yeah. I don't even know why they call it the History Channel anymore. I don't know. It's you just, hear uh, that this, the Discovery Rednecks. Channel has changed their, uh, like, tagline? Was it, like, uh, Rednecks on Parade? No, 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 that's the Learning Channel. The Discovery okay. Channel is, like, America's number one non-fiction station. Yeah. Which means that basically by saying that, they're saying what we're telling you is true, except when we're lying. But that means that we're not really going to uh, emphasize science anymore. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, science doesn't sell, and uh, things that might actually educate you don't sell. So we're going to put fat hillbilly truckers, <laughs> uh, that tow truck drivers, and you know, that's fucking. Uh, some friends of mine are sitting there watching this show the other night, and it's all these big, fat, obese uh, rednecks in camo and shit like that, and they're out in some field, and there's just this big explosion. I'm like, what What the fuck was this explosion? What were they doing? And they, you know, rednecks like to make things that blow up, Ugh. so they just made like a big bomb or something out in this field and made this big crater, and then they're taking a like a fishing pole with fishing line and hanging a fucking raw chicken up over this hole. They were trying to catch Bigfoot. And oh, these geez. idiots that I'm friends with <laughs> are like uh, scoffing at me because I was a skeptic. Uh, about you know, we have, we have, have I told you my uh, encounter with Bigfoot story once? Well, wait a minute. You know, no. Okay. Wait, let's I got back it. Up, so I 
just realized that maybe I am wrong because I was just saying on this show probably a half an hour ago that I dated Bigfoot. There you go. So, okay, go ahead. I, I haven't actually encountered Bigfoot, but I've encountered the people that uh, believe he exists like in a hardcore way. So I was out in front of a bar waiting for some people, and this guy comes out. And he, he comes out with his back turned to me, and I, I check his shirt, and it's like uh, member of the Northeast Ohio Bigfoot Society. And it's like, okay, he's one of those guys. <laughs> and then he turns, and he's on his cell phone, and his eyes get really big. And then he turns back excited, and he lets off with like a woohoo! And I was like, holy shit, did you think you found him? <laughs> I might have a beard, buddy, but it, it turned out a friend of his didn't have cancer. He he made sure to explain well, that to cool. me, but, you know, I worry about that. But you know what? And the next time, one of the, speaking of the you know, uh, hillbillies and camo type mm-hmm. thing, the next, I swear to God, the next person that asked me if I grew out my beard because of Duck Dynasty... You're going to give them, like, a pot, kick them in the stomach? No, I'll probably just say, say something polite and then curse their name under my breath as I walk away, because I'm kind of passive-aggressive like that in this world. I'd well, like to headbutt them, though. Kind of cool if you were, like... Uh, like if if they made a movie about uh, uh, just a normal day in the life of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Okay. And as he goes to the grocery store, somebody walks up to him and says, hey, do you know where like the uh, diet Sprite is? And he just fucking turns around and boots him in the stomach, <laughs> puts their head between his legs and gives him a pile driver on the floor right there and then just gets up and walks away. Then he goes down the road and, you know, somebody says, uh, excuse me, do you know where uh, Maple Avenue is? And he, you know, just basically does that to everybody he encounters. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be, be like falling down in spandex. Yeah. Yeah. I can dig it, man. Dig, dig it. it. <laughs> Beat me to it. All right, well, that's pretty much all I've watched, man. You want to move on and uh, talk about uh, Yodorowsky's Dune? Oh, is that what we're talking about? That's what we were talking about. Yodorowsky's Dune, which, if you say it like that, it sounds dirty. Yodorowsky. Hey, all you podcast listeners, here's an update. See here. We know some of that bad brown acid has been going around. But we've got an alternative. See here. Have these headphones here. Throw them on. See here. Movies for your mind. See here. See here podcast. We discuss music-related films once a month. Find us on iTunes or at seehere, that's S-E-E-H-E-A-R, dot podbean, dot com. Just relax, listen, and float downstream. See Well, I've been gifted, but you'll never know. I've got special power beyond your control. So Yodorowsky's Dune from 2013. That's a thing, right? Like I said, you know, this is a movie that's kind of well-traveled amongst uh, our circles, or or your circles, and me just kind of hanging out in the background, be like, notice me! 
<laughs> a lot of cats. A lot of cats talking about this movie. A lot of cats giving it a lot of love. Uh, I've been behind the scenes, see... You are known as the Duck Dynasty guy. I, I am the Duck Dynasty guy. There you go. Yeah, yeah it's a thing. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> Jesus. Um, I did not. All, all I kept hearing was. Uh, Yodorovsky's Dune. Yodorovsky's Dune. Have you seen this? You have to see this. It's so good. Oh my god, you got to see Yodorovsky. Well, I've been hearing about it for some time because... I had never heard anything about it. Well, they were. I believe that it got started as a Kickstarter. And it, for some, I had read an article about it for a while, uh, a while back, knowing that they were making a documentary about, you know... Uh, if, for those that don't know, this entire documentary is following the failed production of Alejandro Yodorowsky, fresh off the... Uh, well, one hesitates to say the success, but the completion of Holy Mountain. <laughs> and pretty much given carte blanche to decide to adapt anything he wants by his uh, French producer. And he says, I want Dune. Dune, I've never read the book. But I could have picked Dune. anything. I could have picked Don Quixote. I, yeah. I, I said, no, I said Dune. I say Dune. <laughs> and it's essentially how he got a lot of people together, a lot of very talented art uh, artists. And it, for all indications, it was going around swimmingly until it completely failed. The money, yeah. money completely dried up. The movie was never made. And it's always... It, in, enjoyed a sense of um, I don't know the, almost the fantastic amongst film communities. What, what people, could have been exactly people talking about like they got Nicholas Winding Refn in this saying that this would have been the greatest movie of all time or if this had come out instead of Star Wars or before Star Wars it would have changed the entire direction of film. I'm not exactly sure about that, but let's just take the documentary right, as right. it is. Um, there's, a, there's a there's a degree of hyperbole because Yodorovsky, he is he is a, a visionary. He is a he's a kind of guy. He he could get you to walk through walls. He he's he he the way that he speaks and the and his passion and the way that he he brings that passion that he has, and then. Like like a a cloud. I mean, he just like puts it on you, and then, I mean, watching this, I'm getting excited, thinking, <laughs> yes, I'm going to go get my. You know, he doesn't speak like uh, somebody who says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. We're going to make this movie. We have this book. We're gonna bam, bam, bam. We're gonna. We, we, this book was uh, very successful science fiction, the most successful science fiction novel of all time. Uh, we're gonna take it. We're gonna uh, get the money together. We're going to uh, cast. We're going to do this. He is this visionary. At least, I mean, he is. But well, in, in his he mind, describing that he he didn't want to make a movie. He wanted the movie to be a profit, something that was going to, <laughs> going to create re- reach, out, reach out to the wor- to the mind of the young people and unlock <laughs> something within them and create this whole movement. And if you know anything about Yodorowsky, if you've read any of his work, if you've read any interviews with him, or fuck, if you've just seen some of the movies he has made, the only thing I've know, seen is El Topo. Okay, see Holy Mountain. Well, that's Which what we Will keeps telling me. You know, he loves Holy Mountain. You've got to see Holy Mountain, and I just have not. But after watching this, mm-hmm. I want to go watch Holy Mountain. Well, you know? you, you, they showed some clips from Holy Mountain right. in this. I mean, I'm more of a fan of El Topo, but Holy Mountain is very, very interesting. But if you really want to get your hair blown, thrown back, <laughs> um, go see some of the some of the stuff he made because when he was studying mime. And he uh-huh. studied mime in France under uh, Marcel Marceau uh-huh. and filmed some of his little sets. 
And the one that's interesting, you can easily find it online, is called Le Cravate. It's all about guys like twisting off their heads and replacing, uh, playing head swaps with people. It's all very, very interesting. And then I've, I read a, a book about him called uh, Anarchy and the Alchemy, I believe. And they were describing some of these surrealistic plays that he would put on. It's just the most bizarre fucking shit you oh, could. Some of the the, the, uh, the when they showed some of his original uh, film work. Oh, Bondo Elise. Yeah, you just watch it. It's like it caused riots and it was banned, and you know this. Uh, it can't be seen ever, which is the greatest marketing fucking thing of all time. You know when somebody says this was, I mean, uh, Salo, 120 Days of Sodom. Yeah, it, it was banned in all these countries. It made me. I'm like, I gotta go see this now. It's, it was it's the, the movie band. that killed the director, or the yeah. reason he was killed. Yeah, well, yeah, and that, and probably uh, wanting to get some sex from a. Well, in yeah. fact, he was a homosexual living in uh, Italy, and yeah. they didn't like that. Well, um, this this movie as a straight up documentary, where you're you're it, first of all, um, I'm the kind of guy who likes to get around. Uh, <laughs> no, and, uh, I'm the kind of guy that uh, when I when I read comics, um, there's a lot of time. Somebody really, I really have to like an artist or a writer for me to um, remember their name sure. and, and, and try and find, seek out some of their other stuff. Now that I've gotten older and especially since uh, uh, the, like the, the comic group that we're in or so, I, you know, there's a few different comic groups that I'm in on Facebook. Um, I, instead of just seeking out this, reading the story you know, looking at the art and saying, "No, that's cool," and I really like this. I I have tried to, you know, if, if I really like an artist, find some of his other work. If I really like a, a writer, you know, seek out some of his other work. Whereas before, when I was a lot younger, I didn't really give a fuck. I might know who Jim Lee or Todd McFarlane or Frank Miller or some of the big names were, but a lot of them I really didn't follow. And and that, as a straight up documentary, this movie is educational for me because I, you know, I know that I like the, um, uh, the style of like, say, uh, the creatures in alien or aliens, the alien yeah, yeah, the, the stuff that Giger designed. Yeah. But I did not know anything about the Giger. Oh, I, I see the Giger and I'm like, I have to have him. He's and one of my warriors. And it's, it's sad because, you know, they made this, the documentary just a few years ago and you could already, and Giger died earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And yeah. you could tell yeah, he was on that. his way out. Well, yeah, yeah, and his voice is like this, and it's like, you know, but, but, uh, okay, uh, like I said, as a straight-up documentary, this movie is educational because I'm finding out all this stuff about these different people that I didn't know anything about, these different artists. Even, you know, him talking about magma and the Pink Floyd. Yeah, I know Pink Floyd, but I did not know about the magma. Yeah, but... that that French, like, uh, <laughs> I mean, kind of proggy, weird, psychedelic. I, I, I want to check some of their stuff out. That sounded oh, yeah. interesting. But the, 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 but the, the thing is, this, this documentary itself... Um, the Talking Heads, it made me want to go out and find out more about The Talking Heads. Even I've, I've never really seen – I've seen uh, Reffin's movies, and I like Reffin's movies, and I've seen a few clips of him and like Mads uh, Mickelson on YouTube where I've watched. But I haven't really watched him or seen him that much, and I was like, I kind of like him. It's kind of a cool dude. And then some of the guys um, 
in the movie, including Brontus, which what a fucking name to name your kid. Brontus, yeah, Brontus Yodorowski. Uh, <laughs> and, and but when I'm seeing them speak and their reaction to Yodorowski and his hyperbole and and how he's he in like wrestling, I remember them talking about like in ECW how uh, Paul Heyman or Paul E. Dangerously he he ran this small independent wrestling company that was challenging. WWF slash E or whatever, and WCW, these huge multi-millionaire uh, 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 companies. And they said, he could talk us into doing anything. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't get our paychecks for fucking six months, but he would give a speech in the locker room, and you'd be like, I don't give a fuck. Let's go get him. Let's go, you know, once more onto the breach. And, you know, uh, on St. Crispin's Day or whatever, you know, I'm throwing yeah, all these yeah. things together. But he, they, they're, they're certain guys... And and um, uh, even some of his warriors in this movie, you know, he did the artists that he had. He would he said, "I want my warriors. Uh, I want guys that uh, he he the the guy that did two thousand uh, two thousand one the the special effects. He went to him and he goes, no, I can't work with you. He's he's not my guy. He's not a warrior. He was all technically he's all ego. He just was like bam 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 step by step. We're gonna do it this way. He wanted somebody that had vision that that was passionate and um, but. They, there was a couple of times, I think, because I was, you know, when I was watching him speak, I saw this aura, and my eyes kind of glazed over, and I was looking at this, and all of a sudden he became like a twenty-year. All the lines in his face went away. But anyway, um, well, and that—that's that, the thing that's amazing about him, because you know he's in his eighties. Yeah. And he just has all of this energy to him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like I'm I'm jealous that this guy <laughs> is so passionate about i have nothing in my life that i am that passionate about or or that creative or that you know have that vision but in that this whether he's you can kind of see him as maybe like a a bit of a madman mm-hmm. but also like almost like a cult leader someone that you could if you sit there and talk to him for uh, 15 minutes about something, he'd have you going and fucking walking through a brick wall. And, if, and that's the thing. I, I, I love Yodorowsky. I love the movies that he's made. I love reading about some of his philosophies on life. I don't necessarily agree with all of them. I mean, I think his, his brain is really fucking out there sometimes. <laughs> and he's a guy that I would love to meet because he feels like he'd be a guy that would invite you into his house and, you know, it it just give you the shirt off his back if he's could and at least tell and you and a good bunch story. of vitamin E and a lot of vitamin E is uh, <laughs> David Carradine. <laughs> so this story, Yodorovsky is a is the kind of guy that I might watch his movies and appreciate them and maybe be um, a little bit fucked up by them, but you know. Uh, um, looking at them and and wanting to delve deeper and talk to people about them and everything like that but the man himself the the, the character of Yodorovsky is something that I'm now much more interested in finding out more about him reading about him and mm-hmm. and not only that but some of the other characters in this movie um and I'm talking as, as about them as characters. They're not characters. They're people. They're people, yeah. But when I'm watching this, I'm like, my God, you couldn't have cast uh, <laughs> a, a fictional movie and you have, like you said, like uh, you have Giger and he's like, ah, and then, you know, you're making this stuff like this. And, uh, you got you to gotta know with Giger, just looking at his art. 
Yeah, and it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> in interviews that he does, because I've watched a lot of interviews with Giger. Um, the guy's fucked up. I mean, yeah. he, he's he's an incredible artist, but there is something very dark about and very Giger. yeah. Well, and, and like uh, O'Banion, uh, his O'Banion, yeah. Was that his ex-wife or girlfriend? No, that was his widow because he okay. died a couple years back of and, Crohn's disease. Yeah, they're talking about him and how he grew up and, you know, uh, just setting the stage for the kind of person that this guy is. And I'm like, man, like I said, it's almost like a fictional – they could make this – this is the kind of documentary where they could – someone like James Franco or something in a couple of years will be like, I want to make a movie about this whole thing. About, uh, uh, and I and I'm going to cast I'm going to cast somebody to play Yodorowsky. I'm going to cast somebody to play Gigant. I'm going to cast somebody to play Obanian. <laughs> and I don't know who the fuck they'd get to play David Carradine, but it would be hilarious. That um, would be. Invite me, cool. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is about that, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, I watched. Um, oh God damn it! I'm drawing a fucking blank. Um, a Bergman movie, uh, The Serpent's Egg. And um, it's this, you know, Ingmar Bergman makes these fucking movies that are thought-provoking and so deep and, you know, depressing. And this is about uh, uh, the lead-up to um, the Nazis taking over in World War II, and and he cast as the lead David Carradine. And this is the very early seventies when Carradine was fucking hot and he just, he had played Woody Guthrie and, and got nominated for an Academy award. But let's face it. I mean, maybe this is just me. David Carradine isn't that great of a fucking actor. No, he really isn't. Um, and he is an interesting person. Um, I've read some stuff about him that is not really flattering. Uh, <laughs> well, how he died comes to he, mind. Yeah. Well, not just that. I was thinking about like uh, his experimentation with drugs and 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 like being completely naked and high on LSD and going into his neighbor's house, thinking he's in his house and karate kicking people and fucking shit like that and fucking Barbara Hershey, whose name was Seagull at the time because she changed her name and all this crazy shit. But he was such an odd. He was a personality, and sometimes well, and you, on screen you, you, the personality. Good. Well, oh, good. But I mean, I'm just saying, Carradine, for some reason, I, I think it's because he was just such uh, – he he himself liked to – he has like three or four movies that never were put out. That I mean, full-length movies that he did uh, on his own low budget. Um, but as far as an actor, you see him in Long Riders or, or even the Kung Fu TV show and everything, which is where – I mean, he just was like – he went from playing bit parts in TV westerns and 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 some westerns in the movies and stuff, and then he got kung fu, and then he's a spiritual mystical guy. Exactly. Which he he kind of wasn't really, but when you see Yodorovsky saying, "Okay, who can I get to play Leto? I need someone to play," it. and I think David Carradine. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> well, and, but the thing is, you know, you were explaining all that weird stuff that Carradine got into, and you could see why he, uh, he that kind of person would be attractive for somebody like Yodorowsky. Right. Then, and he has a good look to him, and he has that connection to the whole Carradine family. And yeah, at the right. time, Kung Fu was a lot of people's, a lot of people in the West. It was, you know, 
it was basically Baby's first introduction into Eastern right. philosophy. Right. So he had that connection into there, and I think Yodorowsky. I have another thing that uh, theory with Yodorowsky. He is an intensely instinctual filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those that I believe he does a lot of stuff stuff just through free association, whether right. that be through drugs, meditation, or things. And if if something pops in his head from out of nowhere, he'll give a certain amount of credence to that. It's like, okay, the universe is telling me David Carradine. <laughs> right. But but I will say this, uh, and, I, and I'm going back to a, a, a fucking wrestling analogy, which, you know, some people can, you know, I've heard here recently, they can totally not, re- they don't listen to our show because they can't relate to some of the shit that Loaf and I talk about. But um, <laughs> in the same sense with, with, with uh, ECW, with Paul Heyman, um, one of the things, and and I look at him. This is you know entertainment, and and he's in in sort of like a cinema or a movie kind of way or TV or whatever. He was the director, and yep. one thing that they said about him was he could he would play to someone's strengths, and he would kind of cover up their weaknesses. Like if a guy couldn't wrestle worth a shit, but he was six foot nine, 300 pounds, he would have the guy come in nine one one. He would come in in the middle of a match, pick somebody up, choke slam him. And that's all he would do. And everybody would be like, wow, nine one one. He's the greatest. He's fucking a badass, but he wasn't, he couldn't do shit. But well, uh, I was listening to an interview with some, I was listening to an interview with somebody. I forget who it was. And they were talking about great Kali right. who can't do shit in the ring. Right. But they taught him the chop because it's a powerful <laughs> move and it is impossible to fuck up. Right. So, so you, I give, think, you give a guy a move like that. Right. And I think that, that uh, when I, you know, uh, I think in the hands of someone like Yodorovsky, mm-hmm. um, he could use Carradine and he would either, I mean, knowing his move, the way that he films. Um, he could cover up a lot of Carradine's weaknesses as an actor. Sure. And and use him that way, but all, because I've seen Carradine, and and the one thing about Carradine is this: you have to think that some of the '70s movies, like sci-fi movies or fantasy movies and shit that he was in, um, he might not have been in the best condition. <laughs> you know, mentally and whatever, like he was probably really fucked up because well, uh, he liked fair. to do a lot of drugs. He had, he had access to a lot of money and a lot of drugs. Oh yeah, kung fu fucking uh, paid for his drug habit for quite a long time, I think. Oh yeah, but, but I, I I wonder. Okay, now you have seen the David Lynch Dune movie, yeah? Have you, dude? I named I named my podcast after it. Oh, that's true. Okay. That in the movie, that in the book, because I'm I, a fan of both. I have not. I saw it in the theater when it first came out mm-hmm. because after Star Wars in '77, you know, everybody's like, "Oh my God, look at all the shit they can do now! These spaceships and these hairy guys and these creatures and the makeup and you know and and that's also along with uh, an episode of Talk Without Rhythm that we're going to be recording." In the future, with Planet mm-hmm. of the Apes and the makeup, oh, uh, sure. look at all the shit that we can do, and how, uh, or the Avengers now with the CGI, and you're looking at this stuff, and you're th- and you're thinking, what's next? What are they going to do? And the promo or the the word is, we're going to do Dune, and this is, I hadn't, I never read the book, I mm-hmm. you know, I, and the, and all I heard was, this is the greatest science fiction novel of all time. 
It's sold more than any other, you know, whatever. And so you get this big hype and you're like, okay, oh my God, think about how good Star Wars was. And then think about what this is going to be. And so then when I went to the theater and I'm like, we got to go see this fucking doom, man. We got to go see this. It's going to be so fucking good. And we went and saw it and we were like, <laughs> and, that, and that's the thing. I, I absolutely love both the movie and the book, but I love them for, for completely. But I've only movies. seen it one time. And well, when, when did the when did the Lynch movie come out? That was eighty three, I think. Okay, eighty three. So I was, was probably like, sometime early eighties, I believe. Right, early eighties. So I was, you know, maybe a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Okay. And so I saw it through those eyes. Eighty four. I was a player. I had the that that expectation of, okay, I saw Star Wars, and this is this. Sure. So now the next thing I want more of that, and I saw it through those eyes. So now I I kind of would like, especially after seeing this movie, uh, I kind of want to go back and watch it just to see it through the eyes of a middle-aged, old, bitter fucking piece of shit. Well, and the thing I, <laughs> the thing I really like about uh, David Lynch, Lynch's Dune, which is weird because I'm not a huge David Lynch fan. Right. I mean, I enjoy a lot of the movies that he's done, but I'm never going to be one of those guys that is a complete David Lynch Oh, movie. yeah, some people are, like, really Lynch completist and love him. Exactly. And I'm the same way. I'm and like there's, you. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I got I got similar, you know, director uh, loves for, you know, Stanley Kubrick and P.T. Anderson. We all have our guy that we latch on to. Right. A lot of guys latch on to Lynch. The thing I, I love about Dune is the fact it is, at its heart, just a cheesy B-movie. That has aspirations and DNA of very of a very complex story because the original Dune novel is an intensely complex story that touches on a lot of different things. Right. That DNA made it into this movie, got filtered through D, uh, David Lynch's weird sensibilities for just having throwing off the wall bizarre surrealistic pseudo industrial imagery into there. Then it got filtered through the commercial sensibilities of the De Laurentiis, all wrapped up with a score done by Toto. And for some reason, <laughs> it just appeals to me on so many levels. I don't know why. It is just one of those films that I watch and I'm satisfied with. I'm satisfied with it because it doesn't quite work. It is a very off-putting movie just because, again, it was a movie that was supposed to be much longer, kind of like Sabotage. And that's they what had I was just going to gonna say. That's what it, that when you're saying that, the same thing with the comparison to Star Wars to Dune with sabotage. I wanted it to be this, and the first time I watched it, I I was like, Ugh. and then I watched it after that, knowing what it was and watching it for what it was, and that watching it like you just said with Dune that it is kind of a mess and kind of a fuck-up, but I'm enjoying the mess and the fuck-up. There you go. And again, you can't <laughs> you can't really account for it because people have said so many different criticisms about the movie, and I agree with a lot of them. But for some reason, and it goes back to the subjective quality of film, which drives some critics nuts, and it drives some fans nuts because they want to be able to say, no, this is art. Art can be qualified objectively. If it hits this, this, and this, it is a good movie. If it doesn't hit these, right. if we can point out the flaws, it cannot possibly be a good movie. I have met people like this. You'll want to slap them upside the face. Yeah, they are no fun of parties. That, that's why on uh, some of the groups that we're involved in on Facebook, you you get that 
some people will say a trolling thing, but I don't think it's a trolling thing as some people are very passionate about what they expect mm-hmm. and that's what they want. And if sure. it's not that it's a piece of shit and, and they, they're, they have this line drawn and it's either this or it's a piece of shit. Yeah. And especially if it's something that say they're into French cinema or they're into they're they're the, they feel themselves to be uh, an action movie uh, expert or completist or whatever. And I know more about it than anybody. And then somebody says, well, I like this. Oh, you're a fucking moron. Yeah. You know, that, and it's like, no, Oh yeah. it's subjective. And, and the one thing that I have found in being involved with like a lot of you guys, you know, you duck dynasty kind of guys. And then ah, some of the other people, uh, <laughs> is, 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 is that, um, it's kind of opened my mind to there's movies that on first watch, I would watch it and be like, God, what a fucking piece of shit. I'll never watch this again. Why did I watch this? But then I'll start hearing people talking about it and they're, they went into it with the idea of, okay, this is a fucking fuck up. It's a mess. It's a piece of shit. It's stupid. It's moronic, but it's went so far that I kind of like it. Well, <laughs> and, and, and I'll go back and watch it. Yeah. When I first saw Dune, it was like two thirty in the morning and I was maybe 11 because I was staying over at my dad's house and he never oh, put, that's, put I mean, 11 years old and watching Dune. Is... Oh, yeah. At like 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. And the thing is I love about going to my dad's place because he never set a bedtime for me. And with my mom, because, you know, they divorced when I was a real little kid, she, it was always a very strict uh, rules. Not not necessarily, I'll, you know, like uh, beat you if you've done wrong, but uh, right. it's, you know, you had your standard boundaries that were all gone when I went to go see my dad because at that time my dad was still, you know, an ex-pot-smoking hippie. Kind of um, like you're, you're kind of you're a kid in a candy store kind of a... Exactly, especially when I found his porn collection. Anyway. Um, nice. <laughs> but, you, you know, I saw Dune under those circumstances. And, yeah, I, I was also coming out as a kid that, uh, you know, was raised on Star Wars, was raised on a lot of science fiction stuff, but at the same time just had this hunger for anything that was related to those kind of genres. Right. So I remember just being... Thinking, watch when I was watching Dune, it's like, what the hell is this? I mean, there's some cool stuff with these worms and these guys wearing the black suit. Is that a dead baby that just came alive? I don't understand. Is that it, fucking Sting? Yeah, Sting in a speedo, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those that was it th- so threw me. And there's been so many movies that when I watch them at a young age and they throw me and they disturb me, those are in- invariably become become the movies I go back and watch again right. because I- there's something about it that sticks with you. Lynch's Dune stuck with me. If I never would have watched this documentary, mm-hmm. I I'm almost can say definitely I would not have watched Dune ever again. There you go. Now I fucking want to watch Dune. But the one thing getting back to this movie is they they go through all the steps he's putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and he's going and meeting this person and that person and everything's coming together. And he's, you know, like, Oh, this is so great. Oh my God. This is, you know, whatever the, I, I kept thinking, okay, I know they made Dune. I know Lynch did Dune. Um, I, I wonder if they're going to talk about that. I wonder if, if they're going to hit on that. And I wonder if they're what Yodorowsky's, um, 
reaction is going to be. And when he said, you know, I heard that so and so was going to make Dune, and I was like, okay, then it's good. And then, and then I heard they they got the Lynch. Lynch is going to make Dune, and I'm like, you know, and and he was kind of like that. He liked Lynch, and he thought if someone can do Dune. Lynch can do Dune. And then when he saw that, he didn't want to see the movie, but then when he went and saw the movie and his reaction, I was like, that is, uh, <laughs> after him saying, you know, Lynch, yes, Lynch can do it. This will be, you know, and then his reaction after seeing the movie, I was fucking laughing my ass off. So I and thought that was pretty cool. You got to love how he just built that story. And that's one yeah. thing with Yodorowsky, yeah. that he is a natural storyteller. And it's, it's one thing that I haven't heard a lot of people acknowledge in the course of this documentary because they talk about a lot of the synchronicity of how all the pieces fell into place and you know how uh, it just so happened that after turning down the special effects guy from 2001 that they just happened to walk into a theater and see Dark Star and that got him into Dan O'Bannon or that yeah. when they were meeting somebody Salvador Dali just happened to be in there. Mick Jagger is across the room. Exactly. <laughs> and it's and, like, okay, now wait a minute. And that's this the thing, you have to understand something Something about uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. He is a showman. He has uh, been a showman a since he was a kid. And there is a good chance that a lot of these stories are partially bullshit. Right. But they're you, stories. They're fun. You can accept oh, fuck it. Fuck yeah. And, and, and even though uh, we were – like you were talking about like say a History Channel or a Discovery Channel uh, documentary where it's bam, bam, bam. Lee Harvey Oswald went and bought this gun. Lee Harvey Oswald did this. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um documentaries when i was a kid i thought okay this is a documentary this is facts 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 this is what happened bam 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 sure. but then after becoming involved in the um film buff movie geek community which we we cinephile we were, right cinephiles <laughs> which we were all joking and laughing about what what you know is it rude to call people this and everything yeah, um, yeah. I came to find out that my immature, I guess, or you know, uh, less cynical uh, view of the of of movies and the world and everything was that a documentary is still entertainment. It's yeah. still a movie, and him creating this this uh, legend, this myth of of Jodorowsky's Dune and how it went from here and the pieces fell together. It was karma. It was fate. <laughs> I I saw this and I thought, Mick Jagger. And I want to make, but how we had no internet. You can't just look somebody up. How am I going to, and I was at a thing and across the room, I see Mick Jagger. Well, and it's, and it's like, it's like what he was saying about uh, adapting Herbert's work, that right. he took it and he fucked it and he raped it. You know, <laughs> that you can't, that you cannot, um, I rape Herbert. That's what he said. He raped it with love. And the 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 thing he the point he was making is if you try to uh, convert something exactly as it was, it won't work. Mm. So even the documentary style, this film, the point they were trying to make, just as uh, Yodorowsky was trying to uh, essentially make a film that where the stated agenda was to remake somebody's mind. The film is the prophet. The point of the documentary is is to give you the story of a man who tried and failed. Right. But, you know, he still was glorious in his failure. That was the narrative of this documentary. 
and that's what the narrative that Yodorowsky was presenting with his own with his own telling of things because the storyteller is not beholden to the truth. How much do, watching this do you want to get one of those books? And oh, I I would give my left nut. I think. Oh my God, no shit. Um, I I enjoy there was one specific scene in this i guess you would call it a scene because this is a fucking movie um where they were showing the sketches of muebus and you know mobius muebus you know when you're a kid all you do is read the name and you're like okay how do you say this so i was like mobius and then i saw crimson tide where they were like mobius is silver surfer is better than kirby silver surfer and then yodorowsky's like muebus and um so <laughs> So he's talking about the Muevas and how he would uh, – they storyboarded everything, and he's like – he was just – like a, better than a and, – and, and the thing is he was talking about how um, when he would tell Muevas, um, okay, in this scene they're going to do this, and he would just be like – and he said he would just draw it really fast, better than a computer, and in the – Legend of Dune, the story of Dune, they got rid of all the computers, anything artificial intelligence, any robots, anything that was, uh, 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 you know, Facebook, these computers that we're on right now, Skype or Google Plus or whatever, got rid of all that shit because they were like, okay, this shit is bad for us, which maybe it is, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. this is a profit. Um, But he's saying, Muebus is just, you know, he draws so fast that it was better than a, uh, uh, faster and better than a computer, which then when I was reading about Dune and I was reading about thousands of years before they had this war w- w- with like the AI and they got rid of all of it and they defeated it and da 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 da. I was like, he's incorporating this into the story of this Yodorovsky's Dune, the quest well, to add, make Dune. Add to the fact that uh, in Dune there are characters called Mentats that mm-hmm. are referred to as human computers. In fact, um, yeah. they were going to have Udo Kier play one. And in the, David Lynch's version, um, uh, what's his name? Brad Dorif played one of the yeah. Mentats. He, yeah. he, played, he played the character that Udo Kier was going to play. But the, the, um, the scene that I really liked where they incorporated music, and all you're seeing is like them flipping to the, these pencil sketches is the scene, I think, where they had captured uh, Leto, mm-hmm. and they were torturing him. And they used the big pinchers, you know, and cut off his wings. That was a brutal, just the drawings of it. You're seeing the drawings, but, and the music as they're showing them, it was like, oh my God. Yeah, again, for the people who haven't seen this. Yeah, and the people who haven't seen this, one of the techniques they use in the course of this documentary is animating the drawings. Yes, so they'll, they'll I take love the, that. They'll scan the drawings, and then they'll manipulate them with the computer to give them the illusion of moving. Yeah. Um, one of my particularly favorite scenes is where they did the long push in through the universe. Right. That's and they awesome. were just showing the series of different um, of, of these uh, storyboard uh, pieces that Mobius had done, and then they managed to an- animate it together to give you a sense of what it would have been. Right. And just looking at some of the arts that was done, um, uh, one one of the artists, what was his name, Foss, the guy who did all the uh, sp- uh, starship designs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And his his just his drawing of the pirate uh, ship, and that had been hit, and all the spice was coming out. Yeah, I wanted and to see that. And you're watching it, and it looks like a still photo, but then you realize it looks like almost like there's smoke coming out, like it's moving, and yeah. it was the spice coming out in in the the uh, the picture that's on the. Um, 
on the uh, the the movie box for this movie, uh, the Foss the ship uh, with yeah. the two big things sticking out. I, they were showing that, and I'm like, okay, it just looks like a still photo. But then I notice that one of the little lights on the top is blinking. Yep. Like on a, a an airplane or an airport, you know, to show, you know, so you can see it. And I'm like, this is fucking awesome. This the way that they they took uh, still photos of artwork and do that. And that's like the um, the Robert Evans documentary where they would take still photos but give them depth. They would take like a pic the the still photo and and with the computer maybe pull the one person out just a little bit so it looks like there's some depth there like you're actually it's 3d i love that and and like i said this is a documentary they could have easily just you know flipped the pages and just had the guys talking but there was much more to this than that uh that added a lot more that kind of gave you the perception of of um okay there this is like you said this is what it would look like. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one thing that Yodorowsky said is maybe if they made this now, um, if they did it all in animation. And that's about the only way you could do it, I think. I think that might be the best way to do it. Yeah. Well, if only, it, yes, with our current special effects, you could totally pull off very easily all of the visuals that they wanted to do. But working in animation gives you a degree of freedom. Right if only just because it'll relegate you by necessity to a smaller budget, and also the content of this would relegate you to a smaller budget, because the big studios aren't going to touch something that's going to be this graphic. Right. And it would be, with the smaller budget, would give you the freedom just to do whatever the hell they want. Now, the other thing that I think would have held this movie back, you know, because, again, Refn says that if this had come out before Star Wars, it would have changed the way, it may have changed the way people look at, you know, giant uh, science fiction movies with these uh, forward-thinking special effects. If this movie had come out, if it had been released exactly as Yodorowsky wanted it, where theoretically it could have had a runtime upwards to 12 hours. Right. I don't think, I think it would have definitely inspired certain film fans, just as right. like his other movies did. I don't think it would have fundamentally changed the genre. No. I mean, El Topo did not fundamentally change the Western. Right. Um, the, it, uh, Star Wars still would have done better because Star Wars is inherently more populist. Right, the and accessible. Of- and, and, and when you look at El Topo or, say, Holy Mountain or something like that, mm-hmm. um, if he would have made this, if it would have come out the way that he wanted and all that, um, people in the art community would be probably – you know, singing its praises, and it would have been, to me, a midnight showing kind of a movie, and we'd be talking about it right now like we're talking about it right now. Yep. Uh, but I cannot imagine it being a commercial success, just for the simple fact that the way that he made movies, um, it was not a linear bam, 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 good guy, bad guy, this and that. It was more artistic and avant-garde, and people do not the the mainstream masses would go and probably see it and be like, "What's this shit?" Exactly. And it, yeah. if it had come out, if everything had gone perfect, one of my favorite franchises of all time probably wouldn't have happened because it, it yeah because it was O'Bannon who was so depressed after this production fell through. And if you want to read an interesting uh, account of that entire period, uh, there's a book called Shock Value where it's basically Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, but uh-huh. for the horror uh, community. 
okay. during the 70s. And they talk a lot about O'Bannon and how it was his depression that he fell into after Dune collapsed, combined with his chronic Crohn's disease, which he lived for for quite some time before it killed him. Yeah, that kind which of can be miserable, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that you wonder why he came up with the idea of an alien busting out of a stomach. Yeah, yeah. He, li- he lived with that shit. Um, it was his depression from Dune collapsing that put him in the headspace to make Alien. And it was, you know, working with him, that working on Dune, that yes, it, uh, he knew Geiger from the, from the work, and he introduced him to Ridley Scott and things like that. And yeah, there's a lot of movies that kind of came, came about due to the collapse of Dune. Now, I don't necessarily believe that all of it has to do with the big book of stuff that had been uh, sent out further. I right. think some of it had to do with the fact that, look, these were talented people. They went on to still work, work in movies, and they right. took some of the work they had done with Dune. And I'm sure there were some people that were inspired by Dune and f- inspired by some of the visuals they came up. But some of it feels a little bit like an overreach. Like right. they were showing the scenes of Prometheus that um, uh, that Ridley Scott had used that were essentially the Giger painting that Giger did for the House Harkonnen. Right. Whether or not that was a direct pull from Dune, or if it was simply Ridley Scott saying, hey, I've used Giger so much in the past on the Alien franchise, let's look at some of his other work. Oh, here's this. Let's use this. But that's Jodorowsky, maybe... uh, I mean, that's how he's seeing it, and it's his... his, uh, He claims that, uh, you know, okay, when I was talking to Orson Welles uh, or whoever, I, uh, or no, it wasn't Orson Welles, um, it was um, Dali. And he was saying, um, okay, if I answer this way, it'll make me look like I have a huge ego, which yeah. I will hate. Or if I look at it this way, it'll make me look like I'm a nobody. Um, no matter what he says, um, being that much of a visionary uh, and just listening to him talk, he has an ego. Sure. And and him saying, okay, you know, all this stuff birthed uh, a dune. My dune birthed all this stuff. Okay, you can see, um, yeah, you can see a certain amount of maybe some influence, but is it all that, or is that his ego? You yeah, know? and, and, and he's telling the story, making that... the story better. And a lot of this is commentary that was presented by other people. Refn makes some uh, comments about it. Devin Farici, who is a um, or Farachi, who is a uh, critic that I'm not terribly fond of. And personally, I think he should have been able to take Joe Swanberg in a boxing match, but he's a fat, lazy bastard, and he couldn't manage to pull it off. I, I would box Joe Swanberg. I got, I got some problems with him. Anyway, um, you know, he was also saying making these big bold statements. And again, it's one of those things that. I've noticed a lot um, as I read more history and become more critical of, of the things that I read in history. We as human beings, we want to believe in flashpoints of history. You know, the idea that one big event was the cause for something else without right. realizing that it's a lot of times because it's life, it's really just a series of small things. And yes, some of the, some of the things that filtered down through the through the ages that were present in his in Jodorowsky's Dune may have been the result of the fact they shotgunned out so many of these big bound Dune concept books to right. everywhere, and it was just floating around, and people drew inspiration from it. Some of it may have been the technicians that he was working with going on to work on other things, and then some of it may have just simply be. People coming up with shit on their own that happened to be the same of what uh, the people who worked on Dune came up with. That stuff also happens. 
when, especially when you get people that are drawing from comparable memories or comparable backgrounds and then come up with comparable things. It's not necessarily a case of ripping off. Sometimes it's just a, a case of simultaneous evolution. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I, go on, <laughs> I go on these weird uh, rants, man, but I'm not nearly, <laughs> as, I'm not nearly as engaging <laughs> as uh, Yodorowsky. No, <laughs> I was actually, I was, I was like looking up uh, to see if they had that book and how much it would cost. It is currently not on sale. I, I was listening to an interview with the filmmaker. They are trying to make it. Yeah, you would but... think that, uh, especially with this movie coming out, that they would that they would put something like that out and and you know hard bind it in a hard you know thing and and where you could buy it for hundreds you know maybe like a couple hundred bucks or something or well how much would you be willing to pay for it uh, well you know in this in this day and age as soon as it was put out somebody would scan everything and put it online and this is true you could just uh, get it for free <laughs> I think I'd be willing to go upwards to maybe 150 for it yeah I was gonna say like 150 200 bucks yeah you know probably not more I mean, than that yeah, the thing is fucking a uh, 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 monolith. It's huge. <laughs> it's gigantic. And I, I, it would be something, I, you know, uh, that's the thing about um, digital comics and stuff like that. I like to hold the thing in my hand and turn the pages. And, you know, I, I, I've tried some digital comics and, you know, and reading, even reading uh, on Kindle or, or whatever. Um, and I don't like it as much. Yeah. I, I like to, to to have that fucking like uh, the 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 paperback that you take to the beach and the pages are kind of uh you know the the moisture gets in there but it's <laughs> and the buying I I can't remember what book that I read um oh we went to uh, loaf and I went and and Justin went to a wrestling convention last year and I had uh Ole Anderson's uh, uh biography which is it's a lot about the business of wrestling not just about like the characters and everything because he was actually the, the booker and he owned the company and this and that and i had read it so many times that i mean it's really well worn the, the bindings bent and all the pages and everything and i was uh going over to uh jim Cornette's booth and talking to the guy that was there because Cornette wasn't there and uh, i was holding that book and he goes oh my he goes jesus what'd you do to that thing and i was like I fucking read it, you know. I know some people that read some that read, and the the book looks like they took it off the shelf at Borders or or whatever, and it's, it looks like it's brand new. Mm -hmm. And I, when I I'm fucking reading the goddamn thing, you know, it looks like an old comfortable shoe that you've worn forever, you know. Uh, and that's why I know you can tell a lot of the books that that I have that are books that I really like because they look like they've been through the ringer. Mm -hmm. And, but the thing is, you know, I, I, I you can buy shit. I, it's like the comic book thing. I think we've talked about before. Um, some people have comics and they're quote unquote, I'm doing the fingers thing collectors and all their comics are pristine. And then, and I'm like, I fucking, I don't, I, I never bought a comic to say, this will go up in value. It'll be worth this much. The worth, the value of it to me or the book is the story that it paints in my mind and what's in it uh, and me reading it, not, uh, okay, this piece of cardboard that goes, that's the cover has no cracks in it. You know, I don't <laughs> give a fuck. I, I, when I'm reading this, uh, this novel, 
whether it's Dune or whatever, or a movie uh, uh, book or whatever, it's the pictures that I can paint in my mind and the knowledge that I get from it. Not the, the it's like I'm looking at this computer and what's on it. You know, I, I, I just I, I never can fathom the everybody's different though, but I never can fathom the people that it seems like it's more important that the piece of paper doesn't have a crease than the words on the page. Yeah, well, and and for some of them, it's they're they're able to balance the two the two sides of it. Yeah, it's you know it, it it's like uh you know the people that get that will grab a comic book and immediately fold the front cover over. You know, mm-hmm. you know some some people do that and some that drives some people nuts. It, it's it's I, I I with me I I try to keep my books in relatively good condition, but if it gets fucked up, I don't care. Right. It you doesn't know, like I'm, ruin my day. Oh, no. I gotta go and get the, another issue of it because this one's fucked up now. And I would never re I would never repurchase a book just because the copy I have is really really be- battered and uh, worn out. I some of my most uh, prized comics are ones that I have had since I was probably seven years old, mm-hmm. and they're in a cardboard box in the basement. They don't have a cardboard backing. They probably don't even have a cover. But, I mean, if they said, okay, you you can uh, – uh, which ones do you want to keep? I mean, those mean the most to me just because they have a history to me. Well, and it's like my, my – the combined family collection that's at my parents' place. Mm-hmm. It's basically complete runs of Marvel and DC with a smattering of other uh, publishers from roughly 1966, uh, well, probably later than that, probably about mm-hmm. uh, 68, 69. From that period up until about the mid-90s of virtually every book that was ever re- released. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at that time, they could you could, uh, you know, lay down a, a couple bucks and pick up every book that was ever released. And they're not five bucks a piece. Exactly. Like, now, no. the big thing that we I've talked about with my stepdad is that we don't want the, the collection necessarily to be sold off. We want people to read them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those that anybody, any of the kids or, you know, the younger generation that's coming up, as soon as we know that they're going to be able to just read the books then we let them access to the books. Right. And these are, you know, books that are, have, some of them have a significant dollar value attached right. to them. But when I was a kid, I got to read all these things. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of comic book fans my age, and it's interesting because, you know, they'll talk about some of these storylines, but they haven't read the books, or they read them in reprints. Uh-huh. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household where I had pretty much the entire run of X-Men. Right. I had pretty much the entire run of Thor, the entire run of Daredevil, and it was these were things I had access to, and it shows the wanting or the fact that these stories are not necessarily meant to be treasured; they're meant to be enjoyed, they're meant to be read. You mean you didn't have a dad that if he got pissed off would tear up all your shit like I did? Fuck no, they were all his comic books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, exactly. You know, I just like, oh, you read that stupid fucking shit. Anyway, like, you read uh, that stupid fucking shit. I learned it from watching you. Yeah, fuck you, dad. The reason all I right. like Charles Bronson is because of you. Um, there you go. If you okay. want, you want to wrap this up because you got to be bouncing soon, right? Well, let's do. Uh, because I, I specifically ask people to fucking ask us some questions, I feel like okay, we have a few minutes here. Let's 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 go over a, a couple of these real quick, and we feed can answer sack. just like we can. Yeah, we'll we'll do a, an impromptu feed sack. Okay. And I'll ask. I have the thing up, so I'll just ask you. Okay, this comes from Metal Michael. Um, what's more attractive, regular Helena Bonham Carter or Planet of the Apes Helena Bonham Carter? How do you I'm feel a, about Helena Bonham Carter? I mean, as I, far I, as I, looks. I, 
I think that she is actually a, a, a pretty attractive woman. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's kind of a non-conventional, but then again, you know, I think she does it for me. I, her personality goes a hell of a long way, and she she has that in spades. Plus, she has that kind of attractive British accent. So yeah. she has a I'm, cute I'm little thin. body too. I watched a movie with her, and I I don't I, I can't remember if it was Bradley Cooper or who it was, but it was kind of a rom com where they did like a split screen the entire m- movie where you saw how she was perceiving events and how he was perceiving events. And she's a little cutie. And, and um, uh, fucking, was it Marla from Fight Club? Exactly. Okay. Now, uh, this is from Anthony. Uh, uh, has Brahms ever given you the shits? What's Brahms? Um, I imagine that's a composer. Or is that a hot dog that's or something? That's Brahms with an H, though. Okay. Well, anyway... Uh, that uh, I'm going to say yes, but I have no idea. <laughs> okay, me too. Um, uh, this is from Steven. What are your favorite Ozu films and your favorite Kurosawa films? Uh, I have never actually seen a movie by Ozu. I don't know if I have or not, but my favorite Kurosawa would probably be, oh my god, it's the one that they based the fucking, uh, um, oh Jesus Christ, I think the Mel Gibson movie ransom which was high low that's my favorite uh my mine would be yojimbo okay uh, that's one thing about these questions is i haven't even looked at them so we're just going on like uh uh, f- uh it's uh, you know some of them catch you off guard uh this is from jesse when are you two going to team up and go after the affirmative action negro college fund tag team titles wow is, is that a reference to the fact that you put up the picture of uh, Hanson and Brody? Were they, were they like good old boy racist? Or is I'm he, not sure. Is Johnny Wolfenstein over there assuming that we are just uh, also some uh, hillbilly racist? Oh, we're definitely. If anybody knows me, they know that I am not neither. Even though that I live in West Virginia, I'm not a hillbilly nor a racist. Uh, but um, I would say... If there's enough money in it, uh, we can probably get some moves together and probably uh, win that. Uh, I, I would like to know who the current cha- champions are because if it's somebody like Ron Simmons, I'm not touching that. That no, that guy would true. break me in half. He was pretty tough. He uh, would. But he, he's a little bit older now, though, so we this might have still even now. I, I have a feeling that he'd be able to take me in the ring. I like to cheat though, and then you know, double team cheat. You know, thumb to the throat and stuff like Bradshaw, that. Bradshaw, I think I could take. Yeah, he's a jerk. Uh, let's see. This is from uh, Bernie Sticky. Have you ever been caught short and had to take a shit in an amusing place or manner? If not, just uh, tell us about some time when you had the squirts really bad. Um, I once had to shit in a mason jar. Uh, was it like Andre the Giant? Was it like taking a shit in Andre the Giant's gaping asshole? You know, it's it's one of those that you try when you have to shit into a mason jar. You have uh, two choices. <laughs> Do you risk putting your hand under there and trying to line it up, or you just kind of trust in the shitting instinct that you're going to squat above it and nail the mason jar? Mm. And I eventually decided to trust in the squats, and sure enough, I didn't spill anywhere. It all went into the mason jar. I was dating a very attractive, tall, uh, very bl- big blue-eyed you know, chick that I was just awesomely agog over, uh, and we uh, had went out to eat, and... Um, uh, we went shopping afterwards, and it's uh, there's a place. I don't know if you guys have a Gabriel Gabriel Gabriel's Brothers. Yeah, it's we like refer a, to that as the uh, off the truck mafia store. Yeah, off the truck mafia store. Gabe's is what we call it. Gabe's, um, yeah. And it's like seconds or whatever. And so we were in this place, and uh, we were walking around. You know, I'm with a chick, and she likes to shop, so we're getting stuff, some, some stuff. And we go to the checkout, and I, you know, I'm like gurgle, 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 gurgle. 
You know, and I'm like, what the fuck? So we get up to the checkout, and by this time, I had been having some stomach issues with the. Uh, they, I think they said that they, you know, it ended up they thought it was the gluten allergy thing or whatever. So anyway, we're at the checkout, and I got a cart full of stuff, and I look at her, and I mean, I had just started dating her. I didn't know her that well, and but I was like, okay, this is drastic times. I'm gonna have to, you know, I gave her my credit card, and I said, go ahead and pay for this. I have to. Uh, run to the restroom, <laughs> which was kind of like, you're like, oh God, I feel like such a douche. I go in the fucking bathroom and Gabe's is, like I said, they sell like seconds or, you know, whatever, right, and what you call it. Um, and um, so their store seemed like it was kind of like that. <laughs> I go in, as soon as I hit the toilet, it's like a shotgun blast out of my asshole. <laughs> and Wet spurts all over the place? Yes, or? and I'm like, ugh. So it all, it's all out and everything. And I look over, and they have the big plastic clear thing with the toilet paper, dual rolls, and had a thing underneath that you could flip back and forth to get from one roll to the the next. The thing that was open was empty, but there's a full roll in the other one. Uh The thing would not move. It would not budge. Oh, at that point, man, you just got to grip it by the top and rip it down. I fucking was so pissed. And not only that, but the stall door, the latch on it wouldn't work, so it was just like swinging open i had to like kind of hold it Jesus, and this, this sounds like so many of the bathrooms around here i grabbed the goddamn fucking thing and i hulk was like hulk strong it was in there with these big fucking bolts and i ripped it off the fucking metal uh stall wall nice. and then i was down on the ground and i was like motherfucker and i it was down on the ground and i stomped it with my foot and i <laughs> completely just it, busted open the plastic to get the toilet paper out, wipe my ass, go out, fucking get her. And I said, let's get the fuck out of here. And I was laughing. I said, I'll tell you in the car. And so then anyway, <laughs> I told her in the car was funny. Okay. Now, um, who is the least, this is from uh, large William. Who is the large least William. attractive celebrity you would sleep with? All right. The least attractive celebrity I would sleep with. This is hard. Um, you know what, who I'd go with? And this is not a slight against her at all, but uh, Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, d- don't get me wrong, I do not consider her to be an ugly woman. Right. But she does not do it for me. But at the same time, there is something about her that right. does. <laughs> it's, kinda, you know. it's a weird, it's, I'm not, the, the attribute she has, that kind of a dro- androgynous look, very, very slender, that's not normally the kind of woman I go for. Even her face is not conventionally attractive, at least oh. not to my particular taste. But there is something about her that makes me think, yeah, I'd, I'd go there. I would, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, like I said, we, we're doing these off the cuff. Uh, um, uh, the, uh, Nomi Rapace from uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. See, her, like I, I, I find her to be conventionally attractive to me. Well, I mean, I like in, in, in that movie, uh, she got really thin and she wanted to have like uh, kind of like a boyish more like a boyish physique or whatever but just uh the the whole the, the whole lizbeth look with you know she kind of like the punk look and stuff like that uh, uh oh, I see, man i dig the punk look i'm, I'm, a, I'm a metal headed hard yeah. man so you and, know um, the kind of women that i've been around for a long time the um 
I, I've always said that I would fuck Julia Roberts. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people, I mean, she's, I don't think she's unattractive, but she, she's one of these ones that has kind of an extreme, like, uh, like, uh, if, if her mouth was a little bit bigger, she would look hideous if, you know, or, or some of these people, they have like a, just, uh, their features are just interesting enough, but if they went a little bit further, they'd look weird. Um, you know, you know what one girl everybody seems to like, but I, I don't is Liv Tyler because she has her dad's mouth. Yeah. She I'd really still fuck. does. I'd, I'd fuck. Well, yeah, of course, but still. And again, it's it's weird answering these kind of questions because it makes me feel kind of like a scumbag, you know. Well, but, <laughs> but my thing about answering these questions is after we answer them and we finish the show, I'll be sitting there. Why did I say this? You know, or I th- I'll think of somebody that's hideous that yeah. I would want to fuck. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know what, Rhea Perlman. I'd fuck Rhea Perlman. Really? Yeah. I'm not judging you, but I mean, that's you know, she might be a. She's kind of. She seems. She seems like she'd be fun in the bed. You know, she she's married to Danny DeVito, so she knows she has a sense of humor, and she seems scrappy, you know, and, and it's a spinner. I've always wanted a girl that, you know, you could kind of just like, yeah, you know? Well, you know, I used to, um, I was just thinking about this uh, today. I had to go pick up some a, a prescription, and I saw uh, somebody, like, at, at the fucking store, and I was like, you know, if I was fucking, if it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was at my friend's bar or whatever, I'd fuck her. There you but, go. Okay. Um, Again, I kind of feel like a scumbag with this conversation. Let's yeah, move on. You bet it's silver and gold. There um, you go. Uh, Large William, uh, Jim Brown or Fred the Hammer? Oh, this is hard. Um, as far as smooth uh, badasses, you got to go with Fred. As far as actual badasses, it's Jim Brown. I, I got to go with Jim Brown. I, I love uh, Hell Up in Harlem and some of those movies like that, but uh, Jim Brown is uh, like the ultimate. I mean, to me, uh, when he was just out of football and making some of those movies, this fucker was the ultimate man. I mean, sure. um, the, the, uh, just the physical specimen, intelligent, uh, the kind of guy that, I mean, he transcended. I mean, I mean, f- fuck. I mean, uh, uh, Jim Brown. Um, well, the, the thing I love about Jim Brown is that he never had to act cool. You know, he, you never you never saw him. Confidence. You know, yeah, I mean, he just had this. He just had this aura of cool about him. You never really saw him, you know, talking smack or anything like that. He just was. When you are the the greatest in the world, uh, you don't have to fucking you know brag or whatever. I guess you know <laughs> it's like silver and gold. Anyway, um, well, and, and again, it's part of his psychology. One of the quick thing, but the one of the favorite stories I heard about Jim Brown. Every time he got knocked down, no matter if he was hurt or you know perfectly fine, yeah. he always got up slow. Got up slow and then came at him like gangbusters. And the thing is that they they he said about it, it's like, look, if I actually injured, I don't want anybody to know. So I right. always got up slow, and I that's grew- just that's just part of his, you know, the thing that makes him awesome. Uh, uh, um, I grew up in an area, um, and my family. I have a, a, a several. Uh, family members that lived in the Cleveland area, and you know Jim Brown was the big thing in the um, uh, like late uh, like the throughout the entire sixties. And Maybe he's, uh, he's still a big thing in Cleveland. I think some oh, of yeah. my affection from him just comes from osmosis of living so close. And the thing is, I also had uh, a certain amount of racist relatives, uh, not to the point of like Ku Klux Klan people. Oh, lovely. But, just that uh, the, they grew up in the segregated thing, uh, yeah, the segregation yeah. thing, and then when they started uh, integrating, um, and so they weren't the kind of people that would go out and like uh, kill African American people or anything like that. And, but it was an odd 
thing, and Jim Brown was a big part of that because even though they admired the fuck out of his um, abilities because they were like Browns fans, um, they still – it was confusing for me as a kid because they would still be like that fucking Jimmy Brown. You know, like he, you know, he's running his mouth or something. But it, like you said, he never <laughs> – he was big for civil rights and spoke out for civil rights, but I never heard him – saying anything where he seemed like he was, uh, you know, like say you would look at like, say a hip hop uh, star or something now that's so outspoken that, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe put people off, but in their mind and the way they thought it was just that bad that he would even, you know, he should just keep his mouth shut where, which was kind of gross. And I admire the guy and I look up to him even almost more because of that. Okay. Large William asked, what was the last movie that made you cry? Um, from the last movie I can remember that made me cry, unabashedly too, was uh, that flick Warrior with uh, Tom Hardy and uh, what's his name? Uh, well, Nick Nolte, but I can't remember what the other yeah, guy's yeah, but the, the other yeah. guy's name. Uh, just the end with the uh, scene with the brothers. You know, I got brothers, and um, uh, it it just hit me in a very particular kind of way. Yeah, I could see. You know, I could see that. I, I'm I, that movie just didn't work for me that much. It was too. It was just kind of like a. A uh, sports movie. Well, know? it's Rocky with MMA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, I, I I don't have any brothers either. So uh, I always go. say, in terms of endearments, the one movie that makes me cry like every fucking time. I can't remember the last movie that really fucking tore me up here recently. Uh, let's see, Bernie Sticky. Uh, just, it was That's in response to something yeah. else that you put up. Okay, Dusty, favorite flick about male bonding. Huh. Man, these are the ones I wish I would have read before so I had had a better... All right, male bonding. Um, Cruising. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of male bonding there. They bond Um, out of each other. Oh, Dirty Dozen. Ah, they they bond. It's all about male bonding, man. They all hate each other in the beginning, and by the end, they are very, very close. Except Telly Savalas, and he still hated Jim Brown. Well, he's a psycho, you know? Isn't that weird how that... It's like, like... We were just talking about Jim Brown, and, you know... Um, I'll see. Who would you take on a take on in a tag team matchup? Uh, May Young and uh, <laughs> who would I take on? Uh, see. It, I mean, all comers, man. We can do it. Kind of, fuck yeah, fucking fucking a. Yeah. If they want these fucking titles, they can come and get them, baby. Um, oh, what a rush! What's your favorite wrestling related album? You know, I have a feeling he wants us to say, like, that, uh, what was that rap album that the WWF did a while ago back? Or WCW did, where it was, like, Hogan Rats. saying, uh, be a man, Hogan? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have any wrestling-related music. Other Um, than, you know, fucking Bad Street for the show. I mean, I have have a couple of the, uh, you know, uh, theme compilations they did. Uh, one I kind of enjoy is the WWE Anthology, where basically it's three discs that uh, cover some of their major eras. And yeah, I'll just say that because it's almost everything. And I was I, I recently ripped that um, and added it onto my uh, iTunes and onto my iPod just to digitize it. And I, I was going back and listening to some of these old themes and thinking, man, some of these are terrible, but some of these are actually really kind of badass, like yeah. Jake the Snake's old theme. You know, I, I, I so we were talking about um, Betty Page, 
Yeah, yeah. And, and you you hear and and you know how her life and you know like how like I said I wouldn't say that when uh, I think Dusty or whoever was asking about movies that kind of made you tear up that one didn't make me tear up but it it, it, it hurt my heart hearing this uh, older lady you know uh, uh, going back and just matter of factly talking about you know the 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 uh, really awful things that happened to her um, but. Um, Jake the Snake, you know, you heard for so many years if you saw, uh, was it? Uh, Beyond the Mat. Beyond the Mat and all this stuff. You know, he's he has this drug problem and, and they show him at his worst where he's like really high and he's and uh, he, he uh, kind of, uh, when someone has that persona that they have to, I've heard so many people talk about uh, these wrestlers that start to live their gimmick because uh, during kayfabe where they would have to, uh, if they were a bad guy, they would have to act like a bad guy all the time to the fans and everything. And uh, some of the guys would blur the lines. And like Hulk Hogan, he was Terry Bollea, but he became Hulk Hogan for so long that he started, you know, kind of becoming Hulk Hogan and he would act that way. Um, and Jake the Snake was sort of like that. He was always supposed to be this kind of evil, badass kind of a guy, you know, the Ozzy Osbourne stuff, and uh, uh, like a lot of the quotes and the dark, the, you know, the deep dark depths of your soul and that kind of stuff. And he sort of became that character. But then um, hearing him talk about like that, his uh, he was the product of rape. His father raped a, his mother when she was like. 12 or 13 or something and got mm-hmm. her pregnant. And, uh, that's how, you know, and, and, uh, and people would be like, you know, some of the guys that worked with Jake would be like, Oh, you know, he's a snake. He's full of shit. He's a liar. He's, you know, druggy, blah, 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 blah. And then I just recently saw a, um, a, uh, shoot interview that, uh, one of these companies did with this girl, rock and Robin, I think's what her name was. I think, um, I can't, I may be wrong. Cause I'm getting my, female wrestlers mixed up, but Jake's sister was a, a, a lady wrestler and they were doing an interview with her now. And she's probably like, you know, 50 something or whatever. And mm-hmm. she was talking about that her, you know, Jake had said about his father raping his mother and people would kind of say, well, you know, who, who knows with Jake, he's full of shit. And they even showed his dad in beyond the mat. And his dad was like, he was, you know, made out of love and I still love him and all this and that. And Grizzly Smith was a seven foot tall, huge, man you know uh it played the hillbilly gimmick and everything and he worked as a booker and everything for uh, bill watts and was like one of his right hand men but they showed this interview with this uh with jake's sister and she basically came out and said that yeah uh, uh their dad grizzly smith uh molested her like all the time he he you know did everything. I mean, sex with her and everything. And, uh, and so you see that and, and, and then you look at Jake and, and I see the things now with him and DDP and Scott Hall and everything that he's straightening up. And, you know, once you're an addict, you're an addict, you know, pretty much you have that addictive personality. So I hope he stays on the straight and narrow and everything. and, And, and that his life has made that turn, but man, you see something like that. And like with Betty page and you think, uh, with her going through, um, the um, um, schizophrenia and stuff like that, where she and and you might see have seen a thing in the newspaper when at that time, like a, you know this pinup ex pinup model or whatever attacks woman with a knife or something like that. But then you go back and you see that some piece of shit bastard scumbag, you know, would do something like that and it affects someone for the rest of their life like that, and they may end up being this person which you may look at and 
scoff at or think, you know, this person is so fucked up, fuck them and everything. But to go back and look at uh, – going back to the Yodorovsky thing, and this isn't like, you know, I was just looking at the picture about him raping, you know, with love. Um, Raping with love. Yeah, and that and this, you know, somebody oh, he came out of love. You know, you you had sex with a twelve-year-old girl, and had a son, and but still, you're such a piece of shit. And Grizzly Smith was a big born again Christian, which makes me want to vomit, knowing that he did the shit that he did. Well, and the other, but the other thing to consider is, you know, what kind of fucked up things were done in his, to him. Well, yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a constant cycle, but and that, and I, it's one of those things that uh, having empathy where somebody comes from. Right. It's it's not forgiving the bad things they do, yeah. but it what it what can help you do is uh, kind of relax the the vengeance boner, as right. I like to call it. The vengeance that whole, boner. That's what America has. We have a a boner for vengeance. Yeah, which I'm is kinda... why you get so many of these cats that are just ye- scream yelling and screaming for death penalty, and are like, yeah. oh, it's too good for them. We should torture them to death and things like that. We have a vengeance boner in this country. A bloodlust. Yeah. No, it's not necessarily a bloodlust, but we believe in righteous killing. We believe that if the scales are tipped, that somebody needs to pay. Well, that's the Old Testament. Is uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very Old God. Testament, and, and it's good. It's good for a Charles Bronson movie. But if you take two seconds and try to get to know human beings, yeah. you realize human beings can do terrible things. And a lot of times, the reason they do it is because terrible things have happened to them. It's well, again, it's not, it's not forgiving them, yeah. but it's also realizing that you know what. Are we in any, in any elevated moral position in order to take their life? Well, I'm a firm believer in the, um, you know, uh, when you look into the abyss, you know, the abyss stares it back into you and, and uh, becoming a monster to combat a monster, you know, uh, okay, are we better than this, than these people if we are cutting off heads and torturing people and, you know, uh, uh, I, I can never fathom, um, you know, I know this is another thing that we've recently been called out on, on Sylvan Gold as our left wing, radical left wing views. But when, when they ask, you know, Rick Perry, uh, uh, have you ever lost any sleep knowing that you may have possibly put a, an innocent person to death? And he said, no, I've never lost it one, you know, one hour of sleep or one minute of sleep thinking that I may have put a, innocent. that's, Fucked, fucked up. up. That's like a, you're, you're, you know, uh, I, I just cannot imagine somebody thinking that way. So anyway, but anyway, we're we're getting we're, off. We're our own. leaving it on a really heavy note, aren't yeah, we? Yeah. But <laughs> the one thing about this show, and the one thing about uh, when El Goro and I uh, uh, get together, is uh, we decided we were going to uh, cover one one show just because of time constraints and. And how you know logistics and everything like that, and uh, we can st- and we thought, okay, you know, we'll do one show, um, and that way it won't take as much time. And we're still almost three hours, <laughs> almost three hours, just on one fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, but we covered a lot. We covered sabotage. We might as well say we covered that too. You know, we could, so. we could. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna send these files to Loaf, and you should be like, Jesus Christ. What the fuck? What the fuck? Like, they're like eating like curry fucking, <laughs> not like people's feet. I'm just going to imagine him dramatically that? spitting out hummus and it's going to, his mustache is going to flutter away like that one guy uh, in Sword in the Stone. I'm out of fucking hummus. I need to go get some. So. You should get some more hummus. I want right, to eat dude. a hot dog. I don't know why. I right, ate well. two hot dogs last night and and it's like one of those deals where um, 
as soon as I eat them, they taste really good, like chili dogs, two hot dogs with the cheese on them and stuff. And as soon as I ate them, I had this tremendous amount of guilt because I'm like, hot dogs are so gross and they're so bad for you, but yep. they taste so good. <laughs> they do taste so good. It's it's it's, and they're so fucking cheap too. So <laughs> it's like. If you go out and buy buy the fixings for a hot dog, at most you're you're spending like five bucks, right? And that's for like ten hot dogs and or ten, <laughs> essentially ten meals. And you're just like, gah. Well, that's what would be better for you. The economics for this is really in my favor here. When we were talking about being college poor, you know, of course, when I was in college, it was like mid '80s. Um, but I remember like my mom would just be like, here's here's twenty dollars, you know, she'd give me a twenty dollar bill, and it would you know to last me like seven days the whole week and i go like buy a pack of hot dogs a, pa- a can of sauce you know a, 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 a pack of buns and like maybe like four cans of baked beans and still have enough money to buy some gas like that was back when i would put like a dollar's worth of gas in or two dollars worth of gas in and yep. then go blow the rest of it at the fucking arcade or, or or at the you know going to see a movie so i mean even though those times were like a, you, you had to struggle, you knew how to manage money and and have have fun, and well, the, it also went a whole hell of a lot further. It went a whole hell of a lot further. I Buy mean, some coffee trucks for like ninety nine cents or whatever, you know. It's expensive, man. Yeah. Well, anyway, we can All go right, on man. forever. Thanks for having me on the show, though. I had fun. No problem. I'm looking forward to having you on my show. Well, maybe we'll have to do that soon. I think we will. Well, hey. We're teasing people. Yeah. Oh. Is, is this the point where we say goodbye? Um, seems like it would be a good point to just say right now, uh, Zom. Oot. El Goro Oot. El Goro Oot.